What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you haven't been rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack, well, you're doing it wrong and everything probably hurts. Yeah, especially your lower back. Yeah, knees, all that stuff. Yeah, it sucks. Anyways, Mystery Ranch is well known for arguably the best uh, built and the most comfortable and the finest damn wildland fire packs in the game. But what they're not so much uh, known for is all the stuff they do for the community. Yes, you wildland firefighters out there. So with that, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series. Why do I say this? Well, if you're trying to go above and beyond and further your career, well, you have an opportunity to win one of these $1,000 Mystery Ranch Backbone series scholarships. So if you want to go uh, to that next level and up your game, well, like I said, Go check out the Backbone series. All you got to do is submit a story, something compelling. Obviously, don't write it with crayon. And if you're selected, boom, you get one of these $1,000 Mystery Ranch Backbone series scholarships. So once again, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. And check this out. They have a ton of other packs and load-bearing essentials, all designed for you, by you. Yeah, Mystery Ranch all started out back in the day where uh, Dana, Uncle Dana Gleason, he went down to uh, SoCal, worked with a South Ops shot crew, and that's where they pretty much developed pretty much what you have on your back today, whether that be the uh, Hot Shot Pack or the Big Ernie Pack, the newest and latest and greatest from them. Well, they could have done it without you and your input. Why do they care about this? Why do they do this? Well, it's because they give a shit and they want to give back to the people in the field that have made Mystery Ranch what they are today. Kind of like this big, gigantic circle, right? Good things come to uh, those who listen to the folks in the field and Mystery Ranch is no exception to that. So if you have anything uh, for Mystery Ranch, any improvements or quality stuff, or if you have any uh, suggestions for new products, they want to hear what you have to say. So go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that's going to be none other than Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. But other than kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, they have a ton of other wildland firefighter-themed apparel and all of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So if you're looking for an AeroPress or a pour-over system or one of those drip torch t-shirts or sweatshirts, well, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check out their full line of wildland firefighting themed essentials. Yeah. And while you're over there, uh, check out yours truly's uh, merch. That would be the Anchor Point Podcast. Yeah. We uh, have a little bit of a partnership, a deal, and that's how uh, Hotshot Brewery supports Anchor Point. Well, they sell some of our merch. So if you want one of those Band of Brothers tees or one of those do rad stuff posters or one of those uh, misfits uh, wildland fire themed t-shirts. Well, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. The Anchor Boy Podcast would also like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement. Yeah, and if you don't know what the Ass Movement stands for, well, it's an acronym. It stands for the Anti-Surface Shitting Movement. Yeah, it's a uh, huge problem and there's nothing more that I hate than going fly fishing or going chugger hunting or basically going anywhere in public and seeing a uh, gift-wrapped turd, a human turd that's gift-wrapped in toilet paper. It's disgusting and that shit needs to stop. So if you have a problem pooper on your crew or need to re-educate someone to do the number two properly in the woods, go over to www. 
thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement where you can get the finest in poo bearing propaganda. Yeah, they got t-shirts, posters, stickers, patches. They've got it all. Hell, they even have like a, a turd trowel at one point. I don't know if they still have it, but yeah, it'd be a funny gift to give somebody. So yeah, check this out. Uh, listeners to the Anchor Point Podcast can get 10% off their entire order by entering the code ANCHORPOINTASS10 at checkout. So once again, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast would like to give a quick little shout out to not necessarily a sponsor, actually not a sponsor at all, but uh, someone that we deeply believe in and their cause is freaking epic. And that's going to be none other than the AWE, the American Wildfire Experience. And if you don't know what that is, well, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check out the AWE and all they have to offer. You've probably heard of the Smoky Generation. Well, the AWE is the, is the uh, organization that houses the Smoky Generation Project. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, I do know that there are going to be some announcements here pretty soon for 2023 uh, Smoky Generation uh, applications. So yeah, get on it. I'll uh, definitely post some information on the old gram and uh, socials to uh, point you in the right direction when that is going to be announced. But if you don't know what the AWE is all about, well, it's a digital catalog and it's uh, dedicated to preserving the stories of wildland firefighters from across the globe, both uh, presently and from the past. So it's pretty awesome. So if you'd like a trip down memory lane or a little bit of insight from people in the field from other parts of the globe, definitely go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check out all they have to offer. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. Do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Hope everybody is doing well. First off, uh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, I know there's been a lack of uh, consistency with ep- uh, releasing these episodes lately, but uh, well, for me, October is kind of one of those hell months, if you will, and it's uh, basically a nightmarish pace with my day job doing uh, a lot of trade shows, a lot of traveling, and I've probably been on the road more times or more time than I've actually been at home. So I'm sure you all can relate to that. And it kind of makes getting episodes out a little bit hard, but sorry for that. And uh, I'm sure you'll understand. So anyways, today on the show, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. We've got a really interesting story. We got two folks from the Eldo. It's a uh, dual fire couple. And we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff like the hardships of being a dual fire couple. We're going to talk about uh, aviation. We're going to be talking about uh, 
helicopter operations specialist and what it's like to be a helco. We're going to talk about some uh, public information officer stuff, which is one of those underrated uh, career paths, in my opinion. And of course, we're going to talk about what it's like to be a cancer survivor and what it's like to survive cancer and also be in fire. It's freaking amazing. So with that being said, one, fuck cancer. And two, I would like to introduce my two good friends, Kalina and Matt Lind. Welcome to the Anchor Point. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got Kalina Lind. Did I mess it up? Nailed it. There we go. And Matt Lind. Uh, You got that one wrong. Oh, damn it. (laughs) No, you got it. Damn it. Anyways, how are you guys doing tonight? Great. Yeah. Yeah. Good night. Nice. So would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. So uh, I'm Kalina Lind. I uh, have worked for the Forest Service since 2004. Uh, Started out uh, right out of the gate as an apprentice. So I was one of those people that uh, had, I guess, enough... um, previous experience working on a ranch and working in a meat department that they offered me a job right off the bat as an apprentice. They, I had applied as a seasonal and they said, well, we are hiring a ton of apprentices and we're not applying or hiring any seasonals. So are you interested in an apprenticeship? I had no idea what that was, but I just said, is there any chance that that means I'd have a job this summer? And they said, yeah, uh, it does. And I'm like, well, then I'll take it. Sold. Let's do this. Uh, so yeah, went in no really idea of what I was going to be doing or, or, um, kind of what the job entailed, but I was ready to jump in right out of high school. Um, so, and I've been here ever since. And then I, uh, so from the apprenticeship, uh, same thing everybody else does, you know, engine hotshot, uh, and, uh, then my life kind of took a different path from there. Uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll go into that, but, um, and then, so I worked, uh, after the hot shots, I went to dispatch for a while. And then, uh, after dispatch to back to engines and, uh, and now I, I jumped around in some, uh, uh, temporary promotions, at the training center at McClellan. I also did recruitment coordinating for the Eldorado. And now I am permanently in a patrol position, uh, fire prevention on the Eldorado. The most underrated. Yeah. It Possibly is. the most underrated, like get best kept secret. And I guess is, we're giving, it's not a secret anymore. It's but. not, but it is, I tell people all the time, it is the best job in the agency. It is absolutely the most fun and uh, just kind of, you can never really get bored. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Right on. yeah well, I'm looking forward to more of that story, yeah. but we'll get into that we'll get in a that. little bit. So started right out of high school, 1999, um, went up to Alturas on a fuels crew, had my mom actually help me type up the paper application because my handwriting shit. So <laughs> she helped type it up. We mailed it in. They said, come on up, do a pack test and get a, a basic 40. So did that. Uh, so did a season on a fuels crew, um, did a season on an engine with the BLM and then went down to uh, Susanville on Diamond Mountain for um, a couple seasons. And then after that, went back closer to home on uh, Big Hill Hell Attack, right outside of Pollock Pines there. And um, 
then decided that, man, that that's fun. Like flying in the helicopter and doing fire. It just got in the blood at that point. Hot shots was awesome, but it, there, there was something about flying that was really special. So then I was like, all right, well, I want to do this permanently. And instead of doing the apprenticeship, I got my permanent by going to the Everglades um, for about a year and a half. Got a lot of cool stuff out there. Did a lot of cool stuff. And then I came back to Big Hill 516 as a squad leader, did some uh, detail in there as a captain, and then uh, did uh, three years as a uh, the Folsom Lake Can crew, the veterans crew that they stood up down out of, out of Folsom with the BLM, ran that for three years. Um, then what I do after that? I went back to Big Hill for about two or three years. And then was able to get into the Air Attack Academy in California, got my Air Attack, got an Air Attack job for the region. And then after about a year of that, was able to get into um, uh, Assistant Haas Helicopter Operations Specialist, which at that point, it, it, it was running the, the COBRA program. Nice. Um, yep. So got to do the... Sucked because it was the last year of the COBRAs, but got to at least fly in them and uh, uh, sent the COBRAs out good, I thought. And then um, we're in the point now we're just running mainly my job is Helco and running the Helco program and whatever the next generation of Helco will be in California. Nice. So you went literally from one end of the country to the complete opposite. Yep. All the way. I did, <laughs> California I drove to Florida. <laughs> lots of Red Bulls and it made a very quick uh, drive out of it. But yeah, Damn. It was definitely different, different experience down there. I was glad to come back to topography. Yeah. But uh had some fun. You gotta miss the burning though. Oh yeah, the burning's crate down there. Oh yeah. A couple um, like two or three people can light off ten thousand acres. <laughs> oh yeah. No, just basically just line it out it and go. set it. Yeah. Just, no, just it's send fun. it off to the races. Yeah. But I'm glad to have a fellow rotor nerd here in the house with me, man. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's where my heart's at too. So. I like it. It's fun. <laughs> right on. It competes with the patrol as far as the best job competes yeah we're both i don't pretty, know if it we're beats both it. i don't know i'm kind of biased to the rotor nerd kind yeah. of side so uh, yeah, yeah but i gotta say like how many times it it's kind of funny because i'm out on in the forest like consistently all day long and he'll come home on a weekend and i'll be like hey let's go check this thing out and he'll you know we've lived in the same area for about 12 years now and he will drive out and he'll be like, I never had any idea that this was here, you know, just cause you always see, <laughs> yeah, you see stuff from the air all the time, but it's, you know, completely different when you're not driving around in the forest, um, all, you know, seeing all the things you're seeing it from there. It's completely different. Oh yeah. It's just like sizing up a fire from the yeah. ground versus the air. All right. So fair, fair thing here. Let's, let's have a little friendly competition. Okay. Who's better at sizing up a fire, like getting the most accurate acreage. <laughs> Really? There we go. Probably. No, uh, he he has he has IR cameras. He has uh, the yeah. whole. No, thing, he, that's so. cheating. That's, that's, that's cheating. cheating. Before that, yeah, there's no. It's like it's a hundred acres. Nah, it was ten acres. All right. <laughs> it's ripping. It's it's definitely a hundred acres. Yeah, maybe twenty five. <laughs> you always <laughs> exactly. like you always take ten percent away from anything that the air attack says. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You have to though. I mean, it just it's, yeah. You can't get it, especially with a topography too. Like you can't get a good yeah. real pin on it if you're too high of elevation. Yeah, but definitely. Aside from uh, what you guys are all about now, mm -hmm. so let's talk about the PIO gig that you're in yeah. right now. So this is another one of those good 
best kept secrets of fire. Totally. Yeah. Cause not yeah. a lot of people know about it and no. not a lot of people know how to get into it too. I know maybe a handful. Yeah. So I, um, I'm on California incident management team 10, uh, as, uh, just one of their, their PIOs. I have a, a lead PIO and a deputy PIO that I work with. Uh, and I got it. I mean, everybody feels that their team's the best team, but I absolutely love my team and all my people that I work with on the team. But, uh, I kind of fell into the PIO gig. I think that's how a lot of folks do is they don't really understand what the role is. And so somebody someday is like, oh, you're really good at X, Y, or Z. You should open up a PIO task book. And it kind of goes from there. And that's kind of what happened with me. Um, I really enjoy taking pictures. It's just a hobby. Uh, and uh, Matt actually was with my incident management team as a division trainee many years ago. And they were on a, had a team dinner that I showed up to. And Matt said to the lead PIO uh, on my team, oh, my wife takes incredible pictures. Like you should totally bring her out with you on, on fires. And she was like, yeah, we're always looking for help. Like you want to come do it. And so I just kind of like went out with them here and there for a while. Um, And once they kind of learned that I knew fire operations and they could trust me to go out into the fire and tie in with divisions and, and tie in with the crews and kind of try to embed with the people that were fighting the fire. Uh, and that I wasn't going to get myself hurt and I wasn't going to like get in the way. A a liability per se. Um, it started happening more and more and we started seeing a lot of really good benefit from showing the like human interest about the fire that was being fought. So it was more like, here's this crew doing this great thing by fighting this fire. And here's about this crew. Like this is where they came from. This is maybe some information about people that are on that module. Um, that you don't really see a lot of the times when we have fires, when we, a lot of times it's like, this is the acreage. This is the containment. This is, you know, what they're doing. You're putting in direct hand line or they're, you know, burning out the section, but yeah, they don't like the really hard and quick facts. Yeah. yeah. But, um, there's not, I don't think very often that we have the opportunity to showcase the people that work on the fires. And so when there is that opportunity to take a second to find out about the person that are out, the people that are out there and kind of, and I think too, like, especially if they're the people that are from that area uh, oh, yeah. and you're showcasing those people that are in that community already, their family, seeing them in that, you know, being showcased that way, I think, um, people really enjoy. So, uh, that's what I like the most about the PIO gig is kind of doing that. Don't get me wrong. I still have to staff a trap line, which, you know, means going around and posting up fire information around the community every now and then I'll still have to, um, host community meetings every now and then stuff, stuff like that. That's more community based, but for the most part, if, all aspects are working in line and I'm able to have a good staffed um, fire of other people kind of helping out with those roles. Then my main gig is trying to get like into the fire area to try to get those stories out of people doing that good work and information about them in general. Like, I think that's, that's a really cool thing to do on fires. Oh yeah. Well, it's a hidden problem, right? Like not a lot of people know not a lot of people know what the federal side of the house does really because yeah. it's a hidden problem. We just disappear off in the woods for two, three weeks at a time. And then, you know, if the smoke goes away, well, off to the next one. Yeah. Now highlighting the human element of what, especially community, like yeah. people that are 
local there and they're working on the hotshot crew that's <clears throat> local to the fire. Now that's telling a different story. Yeah. It's like it humanizes fire and it's a very human sport, if it you is. will, because those are people behind those Pulaski's and shovels and Absolutely. dozers and all that stuff or the eyes in the sky for yourself. And yeah, it's, I think it's important. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, don't get me wrong. There is, there is a lot of uh, PIOs out there that'll go out to the fire and try to get, you know, those really in-depth photos and and videos and, and information about it. They're, they are out there, uh, but it's, it's more often seen that you, people are just getting photos or videos from a roadside or somewhere kind of easy to access Yeah, um, because there's time limits to things and you got to get stuff out. And so that all makes sense. But, um, but if there is the opportunity to go and like get flown in and dropped off with a hotshot crew overnight or, um, you know, take a, uh, go with the mule train into dropping supplies off or, or whatever it is oh, that yeah. might be a little bit harder to get to, but it kind of gives you a more in-depth story on what's going on. And I think that connects with the community, whether it's resources that aren't from there or not. But I think that showcasing that kind of stuff really connects with the community more than just a quick photo. And here's your acres in your containment. Yeah. Well, it's the task purpose and state of it, right? Mm-hmm. But your community, like kidding that to general public. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's more important to humanize it one to give the how and the why and what the objective is and why we're doing it. Right. Yeah. So if you look at it, I think Cal fire is one of those primo examples of a, they're basically like a PR agency with a firefighting side gig. They do a great job. They do a killer job at yes. PR, right. And explaining their, their mission. Yep. And, uh, <clears throat> I think that, uh, that's why everybody and their brother and their mother knows what a wildland firefighter is, but not the federal context. No. It's the Cal Fire side. Because yep. 99% of the people out there that you ask, you're like, you're in the supermarket and you're wearing your greens, your crew shirt. You're like, someone asks you, oh yeah, what do you do? Oh, I'm a wildland firefighter. Oh, so you're a Cal Fire or you're a smoke jumper, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've even been asked if I'm the sheriff because of the green pants. <laughs> I'm like, oh, do you work with the sheriff? No, no, I don't work with the sheriff. No, no. <laughs> so from my understanding of a brief little uh, conversation offline here, um, you two worked on highlighting Eldo with the yeah. Vice, mm-hmm. Vice documentary. And I didn't know you guys both worked on that to some degree. So she he, did, uh, you can speak to that. Yeah. She did more of the Eldorado hot shots. And then when the Caldor was happening last year, I was, uh, Vice came out and did a, a thing on aerial supervision. Oh, okay. But yeah, when, um, when Vice came out to highlight, um, uh, Ben and Eldo, uh, they needed obviously an escort that was PIO qualified and Ben and I are, are pretty good friends and we go way back and he knows that, um, there are PIOs that are going to try to, or have in the past been known to try to kind of build the story for the reporter. Kind of um, like a gotcha journalism style. Or, or just like a you you can you can take it this way, you can get this this footage, but you can't, we don't want to show you this. And we worked with Vice enough, especially the the folks that come out, uh, we've worked with them enough that we have a level of trust with them that we know that they aren't going to try to show highlight them in a bad way or or anything like that. Um and so Ben asked if I could be the, the PIO that went out with them with vice. Um, 
and he knows physically I can keep up with the crew. Well, stuff I think like that's that. a big part of it too, is just the fact that there's PIOs and then there's PIOs that can go keep up with a hotshot crew. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's usually a pretty tall order. So that's yeah. why it's good for someone like her that she can go get those stories because she can actually keep up with them and she's not a liability. Yeah. 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 And so, um, I, I got to go out with them for, for that week, um, that, that vice was there getting the story, um, which was so much fun. I mean, it was just getting to, uh, be there for not only, I mean, I was there to help vice get their story and make sure that they were safe doing it and all those kinds of things. But also it, I mean, Eldo's like some of my favorite people on the, or on that crew. And it's not often that I can go and just be paid to take pictures and video of all the great things that they're doing just in general, like, like I would normally do on a fire if I was being a PIO for an incident. So of course I shared everything I got with that incident while we were there because I'm going to help them out. And they were super thankful that, um, that I was there and I gave them that, but, uh, so yeah, it was a great experience. Um, I always enjoy any time that I get to go like hang out with them and, and do stuff like that. And then when, when vice came to do the story on the Cobras and the Caldor fire, uh, I got to be there for some of that as well. I wasn't as connected because they don't need to go out on the line like they do with Eldo. But, um, but that was also a really good experience as well. Yeah. Well, the Cobra program now that's kind of like been sunset just recently, right? It was 20 yep. uh, last year was, was the last year? year of it. Yep. Okay. I thought it was 2020 for some reason. Nope. 2021 last year was the, the last year of them. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's uh so explain the Cobra program and why Vice came out to the base and did the highlight on you. Yeah. Guys. So I I reached out to it was kind of 50-50. They reached out, I reached out, but it was mainly I wanted to sell the story like you were just saying, like we Cal Fire does such a great job at selling their story as I wanted to sell the story of uh aerial supervision. And as I told folks at the region and folks at Vice, is it was I'd like to show my mom what I do because I try to explain it to her all the time and she has no clue. It's like trying to explain the Greek yeah. alphabet to somebody. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. And you take the <laughs> ground Russian. stuff and then go up to the air. And so, and so that's why they came out and, um, it was, uh, yes, to show the Cobras, but it was more just, uh, aerial supervision and just to highlight what air attack and Helco and all that does. Um, and I thought they did a good job at it. It was, uh, we were evacuated at the time cause we were on the Caldor. Oh shit. Um, so they, they yeah. came out, I think it was right towards the tail end of our evacuation. We were gone, what, two weeks? Uh, we were gone almost a month. No, oh, three weeks. We three were gone weeks. from the, the 14th or no, sorry, the 17th through the fifth or yeah. sixth. So, but they came and they followed me around for a couple of days and we were staying in an Airbnb and, uh, and then yeah, showed the, the Cobra program and then, uh, um, aerial supervision. And it, I think they did a, a good job at just showing, uh, cause I think one thing I like to at least try to get out there is, is the smoke and the public and how you always see that it's so smoky and then stuff's not flying. So yeah. like, why isn't stuff flying? It's you like, well, IR, cause, man. cause you can't see. And even yeah. if you have IR, you're still limited. Yeah. Even regulations. You're, you can't go fly. You still have to go fly. Um, uh, so you can still see a pilot can't take off if they can't see the mountain yeah. 200 feet in front of them. So, yeah. um, Jesus, man. yeah, so that that was good um but then yeah the cobras were great they did a, um they served their purpose um i miss them there was one of the best aircraft to ever fly in it has a, the best view out there in my opinion out of any aircraft because you turn this way turn that way 
everywhere you look, you got a view. Yeah. So as far as aerial supervision goes, that was pretty awesome. But we got, hopefully next year, the, the contracts will be out or they are out. They're getting bid on right now. And I'm uh, pretty hopeful that we will have whatever the next gen of that is going to be. I don't know what kind of aircraft. I don't know what kind of tech, but we'll have something where we can see through the smoke, do IR and do everything that we did before. Be badass if it was like an Apache or something like that. I would love to do that. <laughs> I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're going to get that though. Hey, you never know. Um, yeah, but no, that's the thing is, is that like these messages that we're we're saying in the PIO context, or even just like outreach in general, like yours, uh, and highlighting what we do. I think it's one of those pivotal things, and I think we've been having a lot of uh, issues with public perceptions lately, right? Because everybody wants armchair quarterback stuff. One, two, the news only really wants to show like the the real shitty parts of it, which fire is shitty. It destroys a lot of acres, but we're going to have to live with it. We're going to have to get used to this because that's what it is. Fire is a part of humanity. It's part of the earth. It's going to be here for a long time. But spreading that message and having, I guess, a purpose behind it and highlighting the men and women that are on the lines and what they're doing, we need more of it. No, we need a lot more of what she's doing and the little bits and pieces that like Vice or other organizations have done. Uh, Cause yeah, you go down the, the social media rabbit holes after incidents or when incidents oh are going God. on. It, and if you just read what they're saying, it's just, I got to not look at it. Cause it's like, I want to type so bad, but if I type that, it's just, I'm, I, I, it's not going to end well. Oh yeah. And it's just a thing too. It's like, I, I know like, I know people are angry, especially if fires affecting their community, if they lost something or they've been evacuated. I mean, for shit's sake, you guys were, you were evacuated from your own home, yet you're still out there doing the work. Like they're well, in the Yeah, with the Caldor, you're flying. I was flying around our house and everybody else's house for two weeks straight before we moved uh, farther east up to Lake Tahoe when the smoke allowed. And this is you like just friends and family. Too. Oh yeah. Like everybody, where you every, live. everybody's evacuated. Everybody that's evacuated is fighting the fire that we know. And it's just constant on the social medias. If you look at it as why aren't Armchair. they flying? Why aren't they putting oh. it out? They're letting it burn and say, flying it all day long. We're not letting it burn. Why don't you go sign up for the AD program? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk, let's talk. And you know, I think that, uh, with, the disconnect between what's happening on the ground, the lack of PR, the armchair quarterbacks, the tinfoil hat wearers, and all of the toxic internet stuff. I mean, the internet's not a real place, right? No. It's right here. This is real. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not for the folks that are listening, they're listening <laughs> on the internet, but this is real like for me <laughs> and you guys. But uh, I think it just, yeah, the creation, the creation of uh, distrust and Loss, loss of faith in institutions to do their jobs. I mean, that's, that's a big thing. And it, I think it's going to be escalating over the next few years and hopefully we can get a pin on it by doing better PR. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think it's coming. I think it's, it's coming there. There's definitely people within certain positions that are above us that see that and are attempting and are starting to make a difference. I mean, probably a few years ago, or I don't know how long ago, they wouldn't, they would have said absolutely no to, you know, anything to do with vice to cover Eldo and Ben and all them or vice last year with that, it would have been no. And it was last year it was okay, go ahead. Let's yeah. once you say, this is what we want to do. And they're like, yeah, go for it. Sell the story. Yeah. It's like there's a calculated risk, right? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely new people in positions within the like kind of regional public affairs, uh, national public affairs where, 
there are things that they're still saying no to that, you know, I hear about and I'm like, man, that would have been like a really good thing to have had highlighted. But, um, you know, could you expand on any of those or do you want to keep them kind of, well, I mean, it's just there, there's things that people, you know, come to me or that, or I hear like, oh, this so-and-so was, you know, curious about wanted to do a story on this or that. And, and they didn't let them. Um, and, and I would say that that was more common and now it's, I'm hearing about it less and less, or like there's enough news organizations that are getting the green light to do things that other people are starting to try to do them as well. And so I think as the news organizations or the right people are starting to see that, oh, these stories are starting to be developed. It's just sadly with being a federal agency, it takes a little bit more work behind it. It's not like, you know, Cal Fire seems to, the re, one of the reasons why I think they're so, so successful is the turnaround time for what people are asking of them is very quick. Yeah. It's a small agency. Yeah. Small agency, you know, a news agency can come and say, Hey, we want to do X, Y, or Z about whatever's going on. I don't even know for sure if they, how much approval they need to get, but it seems like it's pretty like instant turnaround that they, that can get done and the story gets out. Whereas with us, it's takes a little bit more time because the approval process has to go through a lot more channels to get approved before it can happen, which some news organizations or some stories need a quicker turnaround and it just falls by the wayside. Oh yeah. So, um, hopefully that turnaround will get shorter and, and people will start seeing that, um, there's benefit to having, uh, our people highlighted in that way and maybe more will start happening with it. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but I mean, it's, it's like, well, I think it's just ingrained in our culture nowadays that it's been ingrained in our culture forever yeah. that, you know, as soon as like media shows up, you run, guess who disappears? Yeah. Everybody. Oh yeah. The, we're, I mean, just the firefighters on the ground are just as guilty as anybody yeah. else. Is. Oh yeah. Exactly. What you just said is camera shows up, everybody runs, puts their shirt up where we need the good folks to raise their hands and we need POs like her. Cause a lot of times all the good folks in the years past would be the ones that are running away from the camera. So you'd get stuck with the person that maybe shouldn't be the one that's on the camera. Very true. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, I don't see that as much anymore when more people like her and other folks are standing up and being that, that face of the forest service and, and BLM and everything that have the legitimate background to do it. I think that, you know, people that are also willing to carry on that conversation and maybe talk about some of the uncomfortable truths about fire, because at the end of the day, we're seeing these massive fires like the Dixie, the Caldor, August complex. I mean, shit, that thing was almost, well, it was over a million acres, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're seeing these massive fires and people are losing their ranches, their livelihoods, their homes, their, their heirlooms, their com entire communities. communities. I mean, shit, even in the middle of December in Colorado, that fire in Fort Collins. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like the, what was it? 1200 homes off the map? Mm -hmm. Just gone. Like almost Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we need to talk to people and say, Hey, we're struggling. We're doing the best we can, but yeah. this is the new reality we need to face. So there's a multitude of like benefits, I think, instead of just like doing the ad hoc, well, not even, it's not even ad hoc. It's just the stereotypical risk aversion from agencies. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes you got to take a risk and say, Hey, we might, need a little bit of help. Yeah. So then public support on top of that, it might change the narrative. We'll see what happens. Yep. <laughs> so just keep trying. Yeah. So the Caldor fire, you guys have a very intimate firsthand experience with that, right? Yeah. 
Let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I could, I could show you on the map. It literally saw my district, my district boundaries and was like, we're just going to wipe the entire Placerville district out. Um, my entire district burned uh, and a little bit onto Amador and a little bit onto Plas um, Pacific district. But um, yeah, it, it, I was there the very first night I was on the engine um, doing engine boss trainee stuff. And I uh, was there all the way till December when the snow flied pretty much. Yeah. Jesus. And this is the shit that no one really talks about is you guys were evacuated from your own home. There was what? Two hotshot crews. Cause I know that a lot of the Zephyr crew or not Zephyr apologies. Um, Talak. Talak. Thank you. Yep. Talak and Eldo. They were evacuated from their own homes. Plus every engine resource yep. in that whole corridor. Iron going. Mountain crew, which is our, our, our type 2A crew on forest. Uh, you know, all of our engines, all of our chief officers, all of our, you know, timber recreation, you know, all the administration, all the admin positions. I mean, everybody. Grizzly flats. Grizzly flat. Everything. Entire, everything. entire station. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's, this is the shit that no one talks about. Yeah. And that's. That's why it's important to have you guys on the show to talk about these kind of things. So, um, with that being said, I mean, I know a lot of folks from Eldo. I think about three quarters of my podcast is filled with Eldo yeah. people. They, they actually told me to tell you hello. It's shout out to Eldo. <laughs> What's up, Ben? Hump. <laughs> I, I, the list goes on. Mondo. Jesus. Everybody. Um, so what was that like? Cause I haven't had like a firsthand account of being evacuated and then actually trying to like have to go in there and defend the communities yeah. that you live in. So what was that like? for you? It guys? was so, so traumatic. Like, I don't think I realized how traumatic it was until probably this year. Like we had, um, we had a very, a small, I mean, 20 acre fire, uh, within kind of our, our general area that, that, could have impacted Pollock Pines again, um, earlier in this, the season. And I remember like the smoke in the air and just like that feeling that I got came back when we were on the Caldor, when we were all smoked in and our, you know, just like the way it looked in the community. And I, it came back like as if I was there and PTSD. it totally. And yeah. I didn't realize it until then that I was like, oh shit, this really affected me like more than I thought that it, that it did in the moment. Um, and I think because that fire went on for so long and I was on it for so long that I didn't really process it being over. Cause I went straight from being committed to it to user lose. And then once I got done with user lose, I came back and it was like ready to, you know, start doing normal things, go to training and, you know, help with hiring and all the, all the things. And so it, so this is like a month's yeah, process. Yeah. Not month, but months, months plural. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, um, you know, not only just the fact that like you're at work all day on a fire and then not knowing if, it's the line's going to hold your house is going to make it like that's that's one thing like that's our house of course you know but our entire community and i remember telling him when we were packing up he was you know starting to close up the vents in the attic and stuff and and 
he's like, you know, I think, I think our house is, is, is in pretty good shape. Like we got the right siding. We got the right roofing. Like, I think we're good. And I'm like, yeah, but do you want us to be good if everything else is gone? Yeah. Like, do you really want our house to make it if our entire neighborhood's burned up, the entire forest is gone and our community is completely destroyed? Like, do you really want to be the last house standing? I don't think I do. Like, I don't want to live in, you know, and I don't want to continue living here and being the only house standing when all of our friends lost everything. That's heavy. Yeah. Like, I couldn't imagine what that would feel like. Then also, even if like, say the community survives and like, where are you going to come back to a wasteland? Yeah. That's also shitty, man. It, and, in, and in a way, I mean, at times I kind of feel like it did in a way because, you know, normal, the normal people within our area, um, you know, they get up for work and they go to work and they head down, usually down the hill, down yeah. to Placerville, down to Sacramento. Was that 50? Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, nothing is burned between from their house to where they go to work. Whereas I had the other direction every day yeah, you're I going go up the hill. from my house and I go to the station, which we, we literally burned across the street from our station. We used that and we burned it and it held. Um, and that was a, a huge, huge part of what saved Pollock Pines was that burn. But still I look across the street and it's, it was a good burn. Like it didn't completely take out all the trees, but it did still burn. And then I get in my patrol truck. I go out into the forest on my district and the entire district is just gone. So it's all burned and it'll, it'll, you know, my, my lifetime, it won't come back. No, it's generational damage. That's the thing that sucks. Yeah. It's like people don't realize that it's like, yeah, it's a massive fire, but what people don't think about is the long-term effects, right? Like the destabilization of the soils of the soils, Mm because there's no vegetation, right? Now you have, rock slides, landslides. We get pretty gnarly winters up there in mm-hmm. Tahoe. You got the insurance fallout. Mm-hmm. You have the infrastructure fallout of all the damaged infrastructure that needs to be. Yeah. Bridges that are gone. Yeah. Campgrounds that are gone. All, you know, of that all of this stuff. But I think the elephant in the room too is, I don't know what the community of Pollock Pines is like, but I, I, I gotta, I just gotta blatantly ask you guys, if you get some, some shitty looks, from folks in the community every once in a while, just like saying like people that have lost something, I can understand the anger and the resentment that they would have for someone in your two shoes. But do you get that at all? Or in Pollock, not, not necessarily like, and I'll, and I'll say this is actually like one of the cool things about this fire season being so mellow Mm -hmm. is uh, this was the first year that Eldo was home um, during the 4th of July parade. And so they actually got to walk in the 4th of July parade, which I don't think has ever happened because normally, you know, as soon as fire season starts, they're gone all summer. Yeah. Uh, And so we had, you know, two engines and Eldo and I think a couple crew buggies and some other other stuff. So we had a ton of people in the 4th of July parade, which rarely happens. And the outpour of like cheers and love for them as they were walking down the street, because everybody knows that like they were part of the vital piece that kept Pollock safe when they burned off alongside park road and like kept the fire out of Pollock pines. Um, so I think in Pollock generally, um, I haven't had anybody, um, that's been like angry or resentful towards, towards me or, or that I've noticed. Um, I know I 
And I also haven't felt that when I've gone through Grizzly Flat in general, because it's mainly um, like service workers right now. They're still clearing trees and trying to get power stable and water stable and all that kind of stuff. So there's not a ton of the community back in Grizzly yet. Um, but I myself feel very um, like sad and just like I feel bad for that community for what they went through. And I almost am like, I don't like I'm I have a hard time just myself being in there. Like not that I know I know that there was nothing that I personally or even though I was there the night that it that the fire went through Grizzly, there was nothing more that we could do. Like yeah. like no 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 matter how many resources you put in there, you weren't going to stop it. It was yeah. I it was fire like I've never seen. All the aviation, um, all the engines, all the handcrews, all was, the hot and it was shots, the middle the of the night. Everything. Yeah, it was yeah. the middle of the night. There were there were firebrands coming out of the sky the size of like footballs. Holy shit! Yeah, it was insane. Like I, it was it was just probably one of the most crazy fire nights I've ever seen. And I know that nothing we could have done would have stopped it. However, it's still knowing that you were there and that you were there before it burned. You were there while it was burning. And you were there and you see it after the fact, it's like just that guilt, even though there's nothing, there's nothing to be guiltful of. There's nothing you could have done. No. Yeah. But it's still that feeling of like, I'm sorry that I let you down, even though like in reality, I know that there's nothing I could have done. Yeah. But you still got to carry that with you. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cause it's your, it's, I mean, even though like I don't live in Grizzly, it's still my community. It's like on my district. There were my, one of, you know, my, my engine stations was there. Um, I have friends that live there, you know, all of those things. And so it's still, it's still there. It just, yeah, it still sucks. Well, that's the kind of burden that we carry oftentimes, especially if you have to defend like your own community. I remember I was on the Perry fire and this is like a, a house that my best friend grew up. I even lived there when I was a, like younger man, the younger, mm-hmm. younger adult. And uh, yeah, it, 100% if you're defending your hometown or your, your, your house that you grew up in or something that has a special piece, a special place in your heart, shit's way different. And you carry that for, with you for a long time. Yeah. And then the incremental like thousand cuts is like, oh shit, we lost that burn. Then yeah. uh, we could have done something more here that you kind of carry that burden for oh, yeah. a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, well, why didn't we put that dozer line there instead of there? Why, you know, like, you know, oh, I saw that one thing that didn't happen that I now think it would have been the reason that it didn't burn or whatever. Oh, yeah. You know, just like small things that add up. Could you imagine like defending Greenville? Oh, my. Uh, yeah. And I've, I have yeah. very close friends that were a part of that um, trying to defend it. And they are, and I actually called her because, that was going on when the Caldor was going on. And I called her Same and time. said, you're emotionally, you're about a month ahead of me. So I need to know like what I need to do to like be okay when this is over, because I know that this isn't going to end soon. And this is going to be something that I have to deal with for a lot of months to come. And so you're about a month ahead. So what would you do you wish that you would have done uh, now uh, where I'm at now, uh, if you could have, could go back. So I got as much like advice as I could and yeah, it just sucks. What'd she say? She said, when you are on R and R, don't look at anything about the fire. 
Don't watch the news. Don't listen to the radio. Don't go on Facebook. Don't go on Instagram. Just completely separate yourself from the fire on your R&R days. And she's like, and it's going to be hard because you're evacuated from it. So well, that's like, your job too. You're professional problem solvers. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and like, you can't not do when it. You're it's on, hard. When you're on R&R and you're evacuated, like, yeah, we're in an Airbnb. What else are you going to do? Yeah, we're in an Airbnb, but we're in an Airbnb in a community that is also evacuated. Like uh, the Airbnb wasn't evacuated, but like everyone else is also evacuated. So there's no like concerts going on. There's no like, you can't go just hang out by the river because there's so much smoke, yeah. you know, it's like, it's not enjoyable at all. So it's all there is to do is just sit around and look online. So it's like, what else, what else can I do? Um, other than continue to be absorbed with it. Yeah. Um, so that's that, like the that only was, option you have is fear porn. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, the that's only it. option you have. That's it. So she said, just do everything you can to completely separate yourself from it. Uh, no matter how hard it feels to that you want to go like look into it or, or people that are texting you and telling you stuff or calling you or whatever. She's like, just separate yourself no matter how far you have to go. Just do that for your R&R days, because if you don't, then it's your body's never going to be able to recover even for that short amount of time. No, you're constantly ramped up into that fight or flight mode. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just probably like much like you getting off of a mission, you know, I mean, how long does it really take you answer honestly? Like once you take the flight helmet off, how long does it really take you to wind down from your mission? You don't, I don't think. I mean, in last year was, that was all of last year was every single fire for the most part that I was on was one that was, it was the Dixie. It was the Beckworth. It was the Caldor. Um, Every single large fire, I think I, I flew last year and all of them were the same where it was just, you couldn't do anything. Yeah. It was like anything you threw at it, it did not, it was, it wasn't going to behave. It's, it was, so yeah, it was extremely frustrating. And that same thing is, especially with the Caldor is the, I, we spent two weeks about with, uh, flying, um, our house, our neighborhood, um, over to Grizzly, just everywhere on the 50 corridor trying to keep it from coming into to Pollock. And that's where it was like Eldo was down there every day. The other hotshot crews, Tahoe, um, there were some out of region ones I know. And it was just constantly every day trying to figure out a spot to pinch this off and then to keep it from coming up. And it just, it wasn't working. We'd almost have it every single day. You'd come out the next day and it was over the lines. Oh, so yeah. it was just like, it. you could not put it out. And I, I, I do remember vividly, Whatever day it was, it was 10, 12 days in, something like that, where it was the last two ridge lines. And I'm, I know it was Eldo and I think it was Tahoe. Um, if I'm wrong on the other one, I apologize, but I watched them bring fire down on this one piece that we've been trying to do for 12 days. And they finally met at the bottom. We had, you know, brought them whatever helicopters we could to catch any spots and to keep whatever else in check. And they tagged it down at the bottom. And I think I was about done with the fuel cycle at that point. So we had to head back. We had relief coming up. And it was just like, that was the time where I actually went back. We landed and I did have a sigh of relief then. Cause it was like, like oh, holy shit. We finally caught this stupid thing. Yeah. It's still munching, you know, yards towards, towards, towards Tahoe. But at yeah. least we finally got some sort of uh anchor point <laughs> yeah some sort of a heel to the heel, fire yeah. yeah and so that was yeah because it was just every day we live in a different generation of fire a different uh i guess 
environment of fire, I think these days. And, uh, I've, I've heard it every time I've done over a hundred episodes and pretty much everybody I've talked to on the show is, says, yes, we're living in a different era of fire. Absolutely. And it's just like we were talking about offline with the uh, Beckworth complex. We, you and I know we've know we have intimate knowledge of that area. We've worked there for a while <clears throat> throughout our careers. And then we know that that Zephyr effect, once it hits the escarpment, it's off to the fucking races. Doing it today on the drive over here. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> Zephyr effect. Yeah. Wash, going through Washoe Valley. It's like 40 mile an hour wind. Yeah. No problem. But everybody thought that multiple people that were telling like ICs and hotshots, uh, superintendents and divisions on that Beckworth fire. I was like, we kept telling him, Hey, do not let it hit the ridge. If you hit, let it hit the ridge, the escarpment of the ridge is going to run faster downhill than it will uphill. And people thought we were full of shit. Now, where does that lead us? Is that maybe intensified by the, warmer, drier climates, the extreme fire behavior that we've been seeing since this year. I think this is actually, we've got a blessing this year, yeah. but where does it head from here? I mean, what's, what's 2023 fire season going to bring for us? I think this thing, this year was more of a normal fire season. Would yeah. you say normal? I mean, I would say it's abnormal now, Yeah, but it was well, normal we're so used to like the, from when I started the in, crap in, hitting the fan. in 99, you know, it used to be where the whole thing with a 14 day, 21 day assignment is you would leave, you'd go to a fire, you'd kick your ass for a little while. You'd order up a team, a team would show up, um, kick your ass for a little bit. You'd start to make progress on it. Maybe lose it for a minute, get it back in. But by the end of that 14, it's time to turn it back over to the unit or the forest. Local. And you got for the most part lines around it and you're good to go. And then you go home and then you go to the next one. And now it's no, one starts and it's, wait till November before it's actually officially put out. Yeah. And even then, I mean, or January. <laughs> yeah. January. Well, shit, even then, I mean, look at, uh, Hermit's peak, right? Yeah. I mean, that was a prescribed fire that punked around for months and months and months under snowpack. Yeah. And then we have this humongous fire yep. way too fucking early in the season. That was like the, that was like the fire that was like, Oh shit, we're in for a rough one this year. I was I was legitimately worried that we were gonna have another repeat of 1920, 21 mm -hmm. combined, mm -hmm. maybe even amplified, but it just kind of didn't pan out, mm -hmm. which is I'm grateful for. And I'm sure a lot of communities and firefighters out there are grateful for it too. Maybe their wallets might not be, but it's is what it is. It's it's a lot of feast or famine with this career. We know what we signed up for. Something that I've noticed too, and, and I'm sure folks that, you know, go to track this stuff a lot better than I do, but this is just, you know, years of kind of trying to pay attention to what the fire environment's doing is I noticed that when the years that Alaska burns like crazy, lower 48 doesn't, we don't, Yeah, it seems like the years I'm in Alaska at the beginning of the season, I come home and then I, by the end of that season, I'm going, it's a good thing I went to Alaska because I don't have any money saved up. Um, you know, not that I'm do this for the money, but like it, our paychecks. You get paid in sunsets, yeah. but that overtime definitely it helps you make it helps through the you winter. The, yeah. Helps you in the winter. And uh, I noticed that it seems like the years I go to Alaska, I just don't have very much overtime down here. And I don't know if that, if that's like an indicator or it just shows you kind of what the weather cycles are doing. But it's like every three-ish years, 
Um, it seems like, uh, you know, Alaska has a really big season and we just have a kind of normal quote unquote fire season of what it used to be normal, which when I started, um, back in 2004, I remember like starting work at the end of May would bring us on. We wouldn't start getting fires until August. Really? Yeah. I mean, we get little tiny, teeny, tiny fires, but like nothing. little single trees, yeah. stuff like that. Like, yeah. But then August we would start getting our big campaign fires and then we were laid off in, by the time Halloween came, I remember like that was usually our like end of the season party with everybody was around Halloween. Yeah. And then we'd all go home and, and ski or snowboard all winter. And then we'd come back or, you know, around May the next year. And, um, two years ago, uh, it was, or maybe three years ago, I remember, you know, I, I help, um, host the readiness training basic 40, uh, class that we do on the El Dorado. And I remember it was in December and we had to like really try to figure out where to house people because we offer them lodging during the training. Yeah. Because all of our seasonals were still on and it was December and we were like, how are we going to have a place for these people to stay when our barracks are filled up with our firefighters? When did they start it? They, this, the season. So they're 1099. They're yeah. 10, and so what they did is, is they laid out. them off and they hired them back as ADs. Yeah. Oh, I think that was the year I spent Christmas in yeah. Southern California. Yeah. Staff on a plane. Yeah. Cause I remember when I first started, it was like consistent, you know, it was, I started in 2009 and, uh, it was like from middle of May is usually when the seasonals come on beginning of May or mm-hmm. middle of May, whatever. And then you'd end at, you know, middle of September. Yeah. Done. And then it was end of September. Mm-hmm. And it was the beginning of October, second week of October. Then it was the end of October. And then in 2011, I didn't stop fighting fire in Eastern Texas, which I had mm-hmm. my 1039 expired, you know, and went down there and ADed. It was like November. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's starting earlier and then ending later. It's yep. like, are we tracking trends here? Do we need yeah. to be year round? I mean, can we just cut the shit here and say we have a year round fire season? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though the bulk of the West, I mean, we still had fires, stuff still burned this year, hundred thousand acre fires, but I mean, definitely not like last year, but like Texas, Texas never went out this year. No, it was They're constant. still burning right now. I think they have every now and then they'll have stuff that's going on. So they must be having a hell of a time with those outflow winds from that hurricane. Oh, yeah. It's just making into uh Florida there. Yeah. Florida's getting their butt kicked right now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's the thing is like, we just need to, I think we need to sit down and really acknowledge the fact that fire season is years. It's, it's fire years, not fire seasons. Because the thing is, is in reality, I mean, you can, if you want to, as a firefighter, if you are a 26 and 0 firefighter, you can easily find assignments all over the place all year year round. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's RX or actual suppression. Exactly. And, and it, if it's not happening in your neck of the woods, it's happening in somebody else's and you could easily find an assignment somewhere else. Yeah. Your status in Ross. I mean, well, yeah. no, it's not Ross. Anymore. It's Iraq. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> Dating myself there. <laughs> I, I still, I still say Ross all the time. Uh, old habits die hard. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things like the 26 and 0 folks, they're pretty fortunate, but also at the same time, they're getting their asses kicked because you don't get that recoup. No. No. And I remember, you know, now that we're bringing on these uh, PSEs, the permanent seasonals, which is great. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's great. But uh, for all of the people that are supervisors nowadays, uh, 
that's a lot on them. You know, that's that respite period that they would get to not have to be like that supervisory, getting them in for training, making sure that their times are all of the things that go along with being a supervisor. They're really not getting much of that anymore. That respite from that, because you have PSCs that you're in charge of, um, you know, eight months out of the year now, even more. I mean, some of our PSCs are allowed to, or offered to come on early and stay late. So they're almost doing, you know, instead of like 18 and eight, they're like 20, you know, four or something like that. Yeah. And 18 and eight, that's like my golden zone personally for me. I'd loved an 18 and eight. Yeah. Fortunate to, uh, when I got my uh, apprenticeship uh, program up in uh, region six, Mm -hmm. I was pretty much an 18 and eight. We just go burn, you know, it's great. Fucking solid. I'd go take my four pay period or my, what is it? Eight yeah. periods, yeah. pay periods it's off. Like four months. Yeah. Four months off and uh, just go hang out. And just, yeah. You know, I don't know, recoup and mm-hmm. hang out with my family who I haven't seen in <laughs> nine months. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I, I don't know where we're going to go from here, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Cause I, yeah. I mean, think about it in the terms of like the, not only the mental health, but also the physical health portion of yeah. it. Right. So, we've already addressed the elephant in the room with the mental health fallout, right? Mm-hmm. You two have experienced it. I mean, I can imagine what that stress yeah. has on you when you're defending your own home district and you're evacuated from your home, yet you're still suppressing fire in your backyard. That's going to have a huge, that, that, that mental, that mental stress, that stress factor has got to have a huge uh, impact on your physical well-being as well. Not to mention the smoke, the f- components of foam that are carcinogens, the shit food, the lack of sleep, all of that stuff. You're sleeping in an inversion layer in fire camp and you're just wondering why you're waking up feeling like you're hungover every day. Even you haven't seen a drop of alcohol in three months. Mm-hmm. Like, where does it go? Yeah. And those long-term health effects too. I mean, I'm undoubtedly probably had an effect on what you've experienced as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like, he's always super worried about, um, and, and I get it, but I, I also don't worry as much as he does. Um, (laughs) my job makes me worry. (laughs) It's your job. (laughs) It's always to worry about two or three steps ahead of whatever's going on. It's like 40 chess. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, he worries about, you know, stress causes cancer and causes heart disease and causes all these things Mm -hmm. that if your body's always in stress and you're always in that fight or flight level, which I'm pretty sure I always am. Um, even when I'm resting, uh, you know, it can cause things to come back, which I know that he worries about constantly. Um, yeah. Cause that takes us back to kind of like the, the story within a story. Um, inception mode, mode. uh, so incident within an incident, which kind of, kind of it is in general. Um, yeah. So when I was on, um, I was on Shasta Lake hotshots, uh, and we, it was towards the end of the season, uh, like September around this time. Uh, and we had got, uh, flown to, it was a bar complex. I don't know what volume of bar complex it was. Um, I'm sure we're up to what, like 36 now or something. There's always a bar complex every couple of years. Yeah. So I'm not sure which volume bar complex it was, but, uh, it was a bar complex in, uh, 2006. 
Should we start naming them like Star Wars? Like pretty much Return of the Bar Complex. It, well, I mean, the I bar guess complex they strikes six. Yeah, I feel like Bar Complex Rogue Thirty Two. Yes, <laughs> it needs to. It needs to happen. At least, at least we'd all because they'd be like, "Oh yeah, were you on the Bar Complex? Well, which one?" Um, but yeah, so we were on the Bar Complex. We had gotten flown, um, flown in. Uh, or I take that back. When we first. Um, went in, we hiked in with a pack mule train with all of our gear. Uh, and, but by the, you know, we were on day, uh, 11 or 12. Um, we were probably 15 ish miles in at this point, uh, putting in direct line, burning, sleeping by the river, uh, eating hot buckets, eating MREs, the whole, the whole thing that, you know, you, you normally do on a fire that you're, you know, um, like that country, like fire. Yeah. And, uh, uh, about, like I said, like day 11 or 12, uh, stomach started hurting real bad, uh, swelling, stomach, abdomen, swelling, cramping, um, not really wanting to drink water and not able to go to the bathroom very well. Uh, and I, so I told my, my squatty about it and, uh, he's a pretty rough dude. And, <laughs> oh, just put this Copenhagen and rub some dirt on it. No, it was. Yeah, that happens to my wife every month too. <laughs> oh, shit. You know? But but I give it to him. We'd been eating horrible food and yeah. like sleeping in horrible situations. Like the body is going to break down at day 11 or 12. Oh, yeah. It's snap timber. Yeah. And it's snap timber. We're, we've had, we, at this point, we had like a couple dudes quit because it was too hard. And, and so he was, he was already over it. I get it. Um, he didn't want to listen to me griping about my tummy ache. Um, so I was like, you're probably right. Like you're, you're probably right. Maybe it's getting close to that time of the month for me. I've been eating shitty food, sleeping on crappy ground. So I'm just going to suck it up. So sucked it up. Um, we got to day 14. They flew us out, uh, which was great. I didn't have to hike. 15 miles out. So that was thank fantastic. God. Yeah. Thank Silver God. linings. Yeah. <laughs> Especially um, being in fucking pain. Too. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, I don't know if I could have done it. I, I might've called it on that, but so flew us out. Um, and then we, you know, went back to base and I basically instantly went to urgent care. Um, and when in urgent care, they said that like, they were like, Oh, it seems like we don't really know, but maybe it's like a ovarian cyst that ruptured or, or something. Something that seems kind of benign. Something they said. Innocuous almost. Yeah. They said like, it's probably something that, yeah, you're, you probably shouldn't be fighting fire, but like go to the OBGYN and talk to her. So I did that. Um, but we had gotten back on a Friday and I went to urgent care. OBGYN couldn't see me till Monday. We were doing two R and R days. And then the crew was immediately Monday morning, heading back to the bar complex. Resource order in hand. Yeah. In we're hand. Like, 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 I don't even think they released us. It might've just been like, go home for two R and R days and you're coming right back. Yeah. Um, and so, and like I said, we had had some people quit. So me being an additional person down on the crew, people were not happy, um, about being short a person. Um, and I was like, listen, it's probably nothing. I probably just need to like take some, whatever, something. I just got to go to the OBGYN and I'll meet you guys out there. And they're like, okay, yeah, get it done. And, uh, so I went to the OBGYN at this point, I literally looked like I was six months pregnant. Like I remember going, holy shit. Yeah. Serious. Seriously. I remember going into the, uh, I stopped by like the grocery store and, uh, 
I was in the checkout line and the checker was like, Oh, how far along are you? And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm going to the hospital right now. Um, but yeah, so I went to the OBGYN, uh, and I walked in and I was like basically curled over from like cramping and she goes, she took an ultrasound. She didn't say anything to me during the ultrasound, except for you need to go to the hospital. Like and go straight to the ER. Like go do not straight, pass go. Yeah, like go. Okay. No $200. No $200. No. Um, he happened to be heading to the bar complex um, when he was on Big Hill. Uh, and uh, we were dating. We Five months we've been dating at this point. About that. About five months. And uh um, hadn't said, I love you. Hadn't moved in together. Hadn't anything like just boyfriend or girlfriend. Like that's it. And, and boyfriend and girlfriend that have barely seen each other during fire season at this point. It was like a few, <laughs> a few are in our that's days. That's the ultimate test though. Yeah. You are in our <laughs> days. He was on the helicopter. I was on a hotshot crew. Didn't see each other very much. And then, uh, um, he was driving through and I, you know, called him and was like, Hey, I'm headed to the ER. I still don't know what the deal is. Like they just told me to go to the ER. And he's like, all right, I'm going to break away and take, take the utility and go come tie in with you. And, um, so I'm, I'm in the hospital and there was a lot of things that happened in the hospital, but what I didn't notice, um, because I was 22 and not paying attention to my surroundings, apparently is they moved me from like a two, uh, it was a room with three beds and three people in the ER and they wheeled me from there through a sign again, didn't even connect in my brain that said oncology. Oh, fuck. And into like my own room with a view of Mount Lassen. It was like the fanciest hospital room I've ever been it in, in my nice. life. It was really it nice. It had uh, what was the, what's that animal from that Pixar movie? Oh, um, yeah. The John Goodman plays him in the Monsters, Monsters Inc. Yeah. The big oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sully. Sully. Yeah. There's a big Sully out there for the kids and stuff like that. Yeah. It was like, it was a really fancy room. I had no idea what oncology meant either. Yeah. <laughs> We're really smart. Um, <laughs> Swing tool fly helicopter. Yeah. Move <laughs> stick. Um, yeah. So I'm in this super fancy room. Uh, they, they told me like I had to go in for emergency surgery I uh, went into emergency surgery and afterwards they removed a 5.4 pound tumor. Holy fuck. So it was a literal child. I mean, you know, 5.4 pounds. I mean, it was, it was a. My son Langston was only five pounds. There you go. It was literally bigger. I mean, he was a month early yeah. granted, but yeah. I mean. Still. Yeah. 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 Holy yeah. shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, inside of that, my ovary was in there somewhere. Um, oh my God. Yeah. And so. Uh, went through that surgery and they were like, okay, yeah. So we pulled this 5.4 pound tumor out of you. Um, we're going to test it and see if it's benign or malignant and we'll let you know. <laughs> so, um, we'll let you know, yeah, no we'll motherfucker. You know. I want to know right now. Nope. No. So I uh, checked out of the hospital. He was able to not have to go to the fire. So he stayed with me, um, during, during that I went, um, at this point I went to my mom's house, uh, cause I was living in the barracks and I wasn't going to go back to the barracks. Uh, so I went to my mom's house uh, at the time she was living in Twain Hart, uh, on the Stanislaus and, uh, Stanislaus. yeah, <laughs> that's where I grew up. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so went to her house, uh, to recover from the surgery, got the testing back. They said it was malignant and it oh, stayed fuck. stage three ovarian. 
And not only that, but it's a small cell, which is a extremely rare and extremely aggressive cancer, which is why it came on so quickly. Uh, it's called the silent killer because people usually don't know they have it until it's so far gone that you can't treat it. So um, and normally 22 year olds don't, don't get it. Don't get it. Yeah. Not normally. Um, so you're 22. I was 22. Yeah. Holy shit. Super healthy eating, like didn't smoke cigarettes, didn't drink, not shot crew fitness, whole thing. All the things that you would think you wouldn't have cancer from. I mean, other than being on a fire, but you know. Um, yeah. So uh then it was like at that point, it it was like, all right, well, um, what's next? I don't think I ever really thought about, I never thought to ask the doctor, like, what are my chances? I never thought to say like, am I going to die? Like none of that. It was all just like, what's the plan next? I think that comes from like our, you know, fire background. It's not like, it's not like, oh, the fire jumped the line. I guess that's it. No, what's the contingency Yeah, it's like, okay, where's our contingency? Okay. What's our next plan of action? What's our action? Five steps down the line. What are we going to do? And so that was kind of the path that my brain took through the entire treatment was when, and a lot of things didn't work. Um, you know, they started out with, uh, first couple doctors were not the best doctors. First no. couple surgeries were lame. Yeah. Well, all surgeries are kind of lame, but there, there was one, she got wheeled out. Uh, was that Stockton or Modesto? Modesto, Modesto where she got, she gets gutted from like her belly button up to her breastbone. That's about, More I think that. that happened. Like that was at least twice. Yeah. Um, First time was down in Modesto and we're, I'm waiting because that's, that's my job. Sit there and wait, go through surgery. And then um, she gets wheeled out and they did not medicate her up well. Like she was just no nerve block. No, no she was just screaming. Like it was just like in so much pain, which shouldn't be when you're coming out of surgery. No, you should be doped up. Yeah. Every time I've had like a knee or yeah. a shoulder surgery, yeah, I was like had, fucking yeah, high like, yeah, for like, like two fun. days. It's cool for a minute, but uh, <laughs> I don't know about fun. The walls are like breathing and shit. <laughs> but yeah, they, they were like every little bump on the gurney just, and then like the room she was in, they were doing a construction, construction right on the outside. Of oh, it. So just how convenient. It's like a roto hammer going yeah, off yeah, in your ear. Oh my God. The first, the first little bit, we, we ended up finding some, a good place, but yeah, yeah that, that, that sucked. Yeah. But yeah. So, um, yeah. So I found out it was stage three, small cell ovarian. And then I said to him, um, cause again, this we six months ish, we've been dating now again, still don't live together. None of that stuff. Um, and so I said to him like, listen, all right, this is like big truth time. I don't know if I'm going to live through this. Like this is the chances of survival are pretty slim, like maybe 5% if I'm lucky. So if you want to back out now, this is the time to back out before I start treatment, before I lose my hair, before all this surgeries continue, before all this stuff happens. Like if you are going to want to leave now's the time to want to leave because once this gets going, I'm not going to have the mental energy to lose you and go through this. So if I'm going to lose you, I need to lose you now and then go through it. And he was like, Nope. All right, let's do this together. He's like, I think together we can beat it. I'm like, all right, you're in it then. You basically gave him the get off the potter shit. Yeah. Conversation. Yeah. Hard mode. Yeah. Extreme hard mode. Yeah. And you stuck around. That's, that's fucking awesome. 
It was the long game. I knew one day I'd be sitting in Reno on the Anchor Point podcast. <laughs> long game to get here. Long game. Uh, yeah. So when he said that, I was like, all right, then let's do this. And, um, and so it was three, you know, chemo that didn't work um, or it, it did stuff, but it just didn't get all of it. So, you know, they put together cocktails so I went through three different sets of cocktails, um, uh, surgeries in between each. Well, I think um, you should talk about it. finding UC Davis because that's yeah, and yeah, Dr. Yeah, Scudder because yeah. he was really the one that was yeah, yeah just super dialed the oncologist. Well, or, yeah, and essentially said, "I'm gonna you're not you. dead yet, but I'm gonna bring you as close to death as we can po- that you possibly will get." And that's a fucked to, up thing about cancer is like yeah. if the cancer doesn't kill you, the chemo will take yeah. you pretty fucking close. Yeah, and yeah, because she was in the shape she was in and that as healthy as she was from eating right and all that was the reason that he's like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to be able to almost kill you, but that's going to be your, that's what, and again, it wasn't, he, that guy never once even asked, do you want to know or anything like that? It's just like, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like, okay, cool. Like he was a good, good IC. Yeah. He was a good IC. I was going to say, he just like, yeah, gave you task purpose. Yep. Yeah, he was, um, yeah, UC, UC Davis, shout out. I love them. Um, they, they definitely, uh, Dr. Scudder has now since retired. Um, but, uh, he really, it was never like, we're, you know, it was never, oh, let's just do what we can to prolong your life. It's like what Matt said. He said, you're 22, you're in great physical health. Um, you you know, done all the right things and you're strong. So I'm going to literally try to kill you. And I remember, um, when I'd be like, excuse me, what? Yeah. (laughs) And the, so a lot of chemo is different. Um, some chemo, you take a pill at home and it, you know, no, no chemo is good or fun. Definitely. But there is definitely differences. And, um, the type of chemo I had, you were admitted into the hospital. I was there for five days every three weeks. Um, the five days I was there usually was the time that I felt good. Um, and then as soon as I left, I was deathly ill from the time that I left till the time I came back again. And um, they would walk in. And a lot of times I had to be in a isolation room where like you come in in a fancy suit um, because of they can't have any germs. Yeah, because the... Chemo basically kills your immune yeah, system. Yeah, it kills your immune system. So yeah. some um, of it's radiation. I mean, it's actual, po- you know, it is all poison. Yeah. Radiation in the bag. They got to wear all the gloves yeah. and all the protective shit. I remember one of the bags that they would bring in had like all this warning on it that said like, if it comes into contact with air, it can like eat through metal. What? Yeah. And they're putting this shit in your body. Yeah, because it's not in contact with air. It's just going directly from non-aerosolized into your blood. And so it, makes sense. it doesn't eat through you. It just kills a lot of other things. Um, but what was crazy was, is I actually feel that, and I could be completely wrong, but the radiation did more long-term damage than the chemo did. The chemo definitely almost killed me. I mean, he, he went to go and you can maybe tell this story um, if you want, go, 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 go for it. Um. Which one was that? The there was a couple of times. One. No, because I was thinking of a different one. <laughs> <laughs> I was on one fire where she uh, was getting chemo 
And then it ended up being, what was that one? It was your, your white blood cell count got so low. She had to go into isolation and it was cause yeah, it's one week in two weeks out. It was, it out. was five days in the hospital with three weeks. Yeah. Between so during cycle. that three weeks, one cycle where she was at home, I was on a fire and I got the call that she had to go to the emergency room cause she was almost passing out and she was in an isolation and it's because her white blood cell count or something was so low that she, they were worried. And so I got off that fire and came home. So there, there was mul- multiple incidents like that. But the one she's talking about was after, um, I don't know what surgery it was or what pr- state of this it was. It was towards the tail end. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, I was going to go to Missoula to go rookie and, yeah. and go jump. And because um, that's something I always wanted to do. and. About two months before or a month before or something like that, um, she got a blood clot, a venal vein thrombosis. thrombosis. So lower leg. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And so she had to go to the ER, had to go to in uh, where they shove a, you know, something up your leg and run it up to get to the venal vein and then start shooting blood clots, clotters at it to get the blood clot hopefully out. And then. Which so, is real fucking dangerous because that could turn yeah. easily into a stroke. Oh, yeah. Yep. So yeah. that was in the hospital for five or six days. Um, is that the same time that your her niece was born? Mm-hmm. So side story, her niece was born in the hospital at that same time. They were both in the hospital at the same, same hospital, same time. So they came up and we said, hi, <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah. So blood clot got out. The prescription is you had to, there was the insurance would not cover the, the shot that you can give once every like week. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would cover the one that you got to give like twice a day in your belly. Oh my God. Um, and this stuff, every time I would give it to myself, the bruising, like insane bruising on your stomach. And yeah. she just didn't want to, she didn't like giving herself shots. I don't shots. like giving myself I shots. fucking hate needles. Yeah. Which is kind of ironic because I'm an AEMT and I have like venous access calls and I'm covered in tattoos, <laughs> but I fucking hate needles. Yeah. No, nah, I couldn't do no, it. It was horrible. So she, yeah, she had a hard time doing it. So it was, I think the last day where I was getting ready to get in the truck and drive to Missoula that she was finally able to do it. And it, she was not happy about it. She, I'd be pissed too. Yeah. She was worked up about it, but it was like, Hey, we, we signed up. Let's go do this. So I went up there. Um, I did, uh, uh pretty much the whole first week. And then, uh, Margarita Phillips, who, if you Google her name, she was actually pretty famous Missoula. I think one of the first women smoke jumpers, I could be wrong on that, but she's pretty well known up there. And, uh, I ended up talking to her and I said, I can't do it. And it was, it, it, it sucked. Um, I felt like, not, not physically though. It was all in your, yeah, it was, your brain. It, and it was, I mean, I had the discussion with her and myself and it's just, it's, it's just, it's not worth it at that moment. And so I came back and it, it was something that it, that was mentally, it was something that it took me a long time to get over as far as, cause that was a goal. I wanted to do that. I wanted to go jump. Yeah. And um, I had tons of guilt. Over him. I was actually yeah. like very pissed off that he came home. You were mad. Oh yeah. I was fucking irate. You were mad. Yeah. I was like, you literally have fucking cancer and you're mad at him for yeah. self washing from a, yes. a, a smoke jumper program. Yes. Really? I'm like, this was something you wanted to do. And, well, and I, I, and I, I get will that survive. part of it. Cause I'm putting it, I'm putting <laughs> it back on, but 
what was in my brain at that moment was it wasn't even the blood clot. It was like, okay, if she ends up, something else happens and ends up not being with us anymore, was whatever time I spent up there worth it? In that moment, it wasn't Fuck looking. No, it's not. Looking, it took me a long time after that to really figure that. Looking back on that now, it's like, yeah, that's the best decision I ever made. That was stupid to even, I shouldn't even drove up there. It shouldn't in the first have been place. a thought. Yeah. But it, for me, it, it did take a while. And so it's something like a, I'm, I'm totally at peace with it now. And it, it's, I'm happy I did it, but yeah, it was, it was a good chunk of years before it was, I never blamed her. That was never, yeah. never in my mind. It was more of just, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It was, that was a tough one. Well, it's that like whole idea of failure, right? Yeah. Like we, we carry that burden with us a lot, right? It's like, uh, anybody who's washed out from a hotshot crew, including myself, I've, I've washed out of a hotshot crew or washing from a smoke jumping opportunity or whatever, man, you carry that shit with you, but it's not really, I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is that there's no such thing as coincidence, coincidence and shit happens for a reason. You made that choice and you made it for the right fucking reasons and the pride, the pride, like it's, it's just like watching uh, Pulp Fiction, right? Where Marcus is like saying, you hear that sound? That's pride fucking with you, right? <laughs> We're, who's the best hotshot hot shot crew ever? Uh The one you're on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just like, what's the best fire? The one you're on. The one you're on that's paying the bills. And like that whole thing is about like carrying that guilt or trying to be the best of the best of the best. It's, it's, I think it's kind of like a, a, a bullshit chase. I think it is. But you gave that up voluntarily because it fucking mattered. And I think that goes to show a lot of people out there that are listening to this, mm -hmm. that there are some things that are going to be way better than your fucking hotshot crew or your opportunity to jump or whatever prideful thing you're pursuing. Yeah, that shit's always going to be there, man. There's a fires, fires will go out and there will be a new one. I yep. guarantee you. And, and it does happen for a reason because of coming back, I ended up getting, you know, a captain's detail on the Helitech crew. And then um, that led into, you know, some time and grade stuff that everybody needs that if I was jumping, probably wouldn't have got that. And then led into the Folsom Lake crew and then back to the helicopter eventually to where I'm, you know, I'm at where I'm at now. So yeah. it, it, it worked out and then yeah, it hundred percent was, was the right decision. I guess what I'm getting at is it's not worth chasing clout, chasing no. clout. No. No. no, that shit's that's yeah. Nope. It, don't chase clout. No. Shit'll pan out. It will. You'll be fine. Yeah. Even if you don't think in the moment, I mean, there's plenty of situations that we both had in our careers that we were angry about in the moment. Like, you know, why the fuck didn't I get that job? Like I'm more qualified. This is bullshit, you know, and then you're pissed off in the moment. It's so pointless. To and be pissed and off, then though. you look back years later and you're like, wow, that actually was like the best thing that could have happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. I mean, I still, I, I, I still feel I mean, and not, not really, but especially like right when I was sick and I had to leave the hotshots and, and I can't fight fire when I'm going through chemo, um, not possible. Yeah, not uh, at all. And <laughs> not even close. Uh, and the, the just like lack of identity that I lost or, or I felt like I lost a lot of my identity when I left because I'm leaving the hotshots. I'm going into dispatch. I'm super sick. I have no strength. I have no hair. Um, you know, eyebrows are gone. Everything's gone. 
And I'm super. She's got a good head though, so it actually she looked she looked good bald. It was all right. Thank you. Um, but like, I, I feel guilty for laughing, but goddamn, I don't know what else to do because this is kind of funny, and it's like it, 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 well, he, he's right. I actually do have a decently decent shaved head. Um, but, it must have been a C-section baby because I got a fucked up head. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and and the chemo makes you swollen. They feed you full of so many anti-nausea medications that you like gain weight because they want you more weight than less weight. Just all of the things that like you don't want that I didn't identify with in myself were happening. Like we'd go take our dog to the river and I would be like huffing and puffing, just trying to walk back to the car. And I'm like, and I, this was something he always like yells at me about her or just like talk shit to me about is, um, so I, I took a pack test every year that I was going through chemo, um, because I didn't want to lose my fire calls. I wanted to keep them up. And, uh, one of the years, it was the year that he was talking about that I had to go into ICU for the venal vein thrombosis. I was super weak. I literally left ICU and went to go take the pack test. Are you fucking high? I, I apparently was. <laughs> and I stubborn and I, and I failed it. And no, that's, I, that's just a, a testament to your indomitable human but will. <laughs> I was in tears like at the, when I failed it and I'm like, I'm weak. This is horrible. Like, I can't believe I failed the pack test. Like what is wrong with me? And I remember he, he came up to me and he's like, are you, are you crazy? Like, of course you failed it. You literally were at the ICU yesterday and you are going through chemo. Like, do you think that you should be able to pass it right now? Like, it's crazy. Chill out. You'll pass it again. This isn't the end of the world. It's totally fine. And he's right. And, and you know, looking back, I know he was <laughs> right. And I know the situation was right. But in the moment, like that feeling of I can't even pass a pack test you know, just the lack of strength that I felt that I had during that time was just like in the moment was probably one of the harder things that I went through because I always felt pretty strong and to not have that, um, when you're so sick, uh, and feeling like you have to, and I'm really bad at like letting people take care of me, like pretty bad at it. I think we all are though. Yeah. She's extra bad. <laughs> extra, extra bad. Yeah. Okay. And, and so, uh, when I get a cold, I turn into like a total pansy. I get, man, I get man colds. Yeah. yeah you that's too. That's too. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was, um, the feeling of having to be taken care of was like really, really hard, um, for me to, to deal with uh, putting you in a vulnerable situation though and And i didn't like it yeah i can only imagine because no one likes being vulnerable no no yeah yeah and so um you know just it i i go ahead yeah it was it sucked because it was uh not just that but it was also like her skin would be on fire so you can't even touch her oh jesus christ yeah and then, yeah, the hot, cold flashes, all that good shit. Cause yeah, because you, you go, you go through menopause when you don't have any hormones at 22. Holy shit. Yeah. But again, yeah, that wow. wasn't necessarily the skin on fire. That was more the chemo or whatever it was, but it was like, yeah, you couldn't, it's like, she's feeling like she is and you want to give her a hug. Don't touch her. But you can't don't touch me. Yeah. So yeah. It's literally excruciatingly painful for you. Oh yeah. 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 It was in, we, the only thing that I would say one of the the biggest thing that helped me out during it was 
Um, we adopted our first dog, Sam. I was when, just going to bring that up. Are you going to bring that up? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, beat you to it. Um, yeah. So we were trying to think of like, is there something that can make me that I can take care of? Like Let's adopt a puppy. <laughs> Cause that makes life easier. <laughs> Puppies are real hard. Yeah. They're real hard. They seem cute. They're, they're super cute, but pain goddamn, they are pain in yeah. the ass. So it, it was, the thought was, okay. I'm being taken care of by like doctors, nurses, him, my mom, his mom. Um, and I'm the one that's the patient and I don't like being a patient. And so I need something that I can take care of to like kind of try to get some of that back, that independence, that, you know, that service, yeah. you know, to something else. Especially living it for a majority of your adult life. Yeah. 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 I mean, even the three years of treatment, but then also you don't just in treatment and you're like, well, again, it, you know, it takes time to get your strength back. Yeah. And, uh, so we adopted Sam, um, best thing that we, we did in the long run, Not in the long the first run, Matt, couple days in the long run. Um, how much shit did he chew up before you started loving him? Not even Be honest. That. Be he, honest. The, first, <laughs> the night. first night we adopted him from the shelter, brought him home. We didn't have a crate. Like we, we were not as prepared as we should have been. We didn't have a crate. And so we built like a makeshift area for him at night and he, uh, shit everywhere in the area that we had made for him because he was, you know, come from a, a shelter. He was pretty sick still, you know, it wasn't, he was a little puppy and, uh, got it all over himself and then broke out and ran it all over the house. And so it was like two o'clock in the morning. I'm super sick. Shit everywhere. Shit everywhere. Literally. Everywhere. <laughs> and I remember waking up the next morning uh, and Matt was like, we got to take him back. I can't do this. We got to take him back. I've been there, man. I, I, I get it. <laughs> I got two dumb as hell golden retrievers. <laughs> They're great dogs, but God, they were rough. And, and puppies. Yeah, it was tough. It's like, I have to take care of you. Now I have to take care of something that's smearing its own shit all over the house. <laughs> But in the long run, two that did that. I know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, in the long run, it was a really good thing because Sam, even though like he wasn't a quote unquote therapy dog, he he knew when I felt bad. He if I was on the couch like dying on the inside um, and just feeling super sick, he would bring me all of his toys and like. I had to, I I had to, I had to play with him. I had to take him outside to go to the bathroom. I had to like be a human, even if I felt horrible. Yeah. And I think that that's what helped kind of just take me out of my self pity a little bit. Um, and try to bring me back to like the things that matter and just, you know, and getting better for a reason. I think, I think he was, he was a big part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, he was good. By the yeah, way, it was good. Shout out to Sam. Cheers yeah, to cheers, to, cheers Sam. to Sam. Cheers yeah. to Sam. Cheers to Sam. Yeah. Um. So after chemo, uh, like I said, about three years of that. I will say that I mean the, the Forest Service really helped out yeah. because she was Shasta Trinity employee, and it was just what do we do? Because I mean she's UC UC Davis now. Like, well, I work on the Eldorado. The UC Davis Hospital is only forty-five minutes from where yeah. I live. It's a hop, skip, and, and jump. It was super easy to. Eh, we'll just move her down to dispatch and do a transfer from forest to forest, and um, and they were super was, accommodating. They oh were super gosh, accommodating yeah. about yeah. that. So that was that was my really awesome. Rare. It, was, it is. It was amazing because it was like that was one thing we don't have to worry about. You still have a job, and um, 
Yeah. And when you got to be there, I mean, burn through a lot of sick leave, but whatever, but she was getting a paycheck. And yeah. And the, the dispatch center I went to, uh, Camino, um, they were, uh, I was there with some, some of the best ladies I've ever worked with. Um, and still some of my great friends and they just let me work what I could. Like they knew that I wasn't going to be a hundred percent there like a normal dispatcher would be because I was going to be sick most of the time and like giving myself shots in the bathroom and my hair falling out, you know, while I'm sitting at the desk and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they were so supportive and like so helpful with anything that I needed. Um, and I learned so much being in dispatch, like a lot of people gripe on dispatch or like only go in there if they get injured, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I'll say that the skills and the knowledge that I learned from my time in dispatch has done nothing but made me much stronger in the positions that I am in now. Um, understanding how fire is managed from that side of, of fire. It's, it's, I'm very grateful that I got that time to, to do that. You know, everybody, if you're an apprentice, you have to go in there for a short amount of time, but um, being in there for as many years as I was in there, you learn tremendously um, about just really what goes on to make a fire work. Um, you need a dispatch center. You need to get all the supplies. You need to get those resources, all of the things that take, make it happen. Uh, and, and I'm super grateful for it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I, I always tell people, I was like, everybody like who shits on dispatch or wants to like say, Oh yeah, it's gotta be the easiest job ever. You get no. overtime. Mm-mm. Like motherfucker, you know what? You want to see some stress. That's mm-hmm. not like operational stress where yeah. you can recover physically. I mean, firefighting is pretty easy for yeah. the most part, right? You put the cold stuff on the hot stuff and call it a day. Yep. Shit hasn't changed for a hundred plus years. Nope. You want a real ride, go sit in expanded or at the aircraft desk for a shift of a, a fire. shit IA. Mm-hmm. Let's see how you fare. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I'm very OCD and I really like, um, like I like starting things. I like to see them through and I like to finish them. And that's one thing I feel like dispatch, I was really good at in dispatch and, uh, what, where I shined was like, Oh, a fire starts, you send resources, you do all the things to get the resources, what they need, the resources leave the fire ends. And it was a very like start, go stop. Very lineal. Yes. And it, and it, um, it was Great years. I mean, yeah, it, when there's no fires, it can be extremely boring at times, but if there is, candy crush. <laughs> it, but thankfully okay. if you're in some dispatch centers, like, uh, you know, we have law enforcement and they keep you real busy, like a busy dispatch up, it, especially yeah. since we're co with Cal fire. Yep. So it's, it's a very busy dispatch center. So, um, so yeah. So anybody's thinking about trying out dispatch, even if it's for like a, a detailed season, I think you learn a ton. Oh Yeah. We get yeah. the bigger picture, right? Yeah. You get Shoot, move and communicates how the uh, military operates. Yeah. And we do much of the same except for put the cool stuff on the yeah. hot stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so finished, finished chemo, I uh, went through six months of radiation. Uh, like I said, I think that actually destroyed my body more long-term than the, than the chemo did. Um, it, uh, burns you from the inside out. Um, like a microwave. Yeah. And so your skin kind of turns into baked potato skin. Uh, and it actually kind of like separates from the other skin underneath really nasty. Um, and that, 
the radiation is what gave me the the stage three kidney disease. Um, so I have to wash my kidneys now, you know, no getting drunk and, and stuff like that. Um, but uh, when to um, on my birthday uh, in 2008, we went in for um, an appointment with the doctor and he said, um, happy birthday. You're cancer free. Um, in remission. In remission. Mm-hmm. No shit. Yeah, because you're never like technically cured. Yeah. Um, but uh, in remission, um, he, you know, he said, we're still going to see you every three months for blood work and a physical. And I did that for, I did every three months for about 10 years. Um, and then after 10 years, they finally took the portacath out of my chest. So I didn't have to have, um, get that uh, dealt with every, every month. And then, uh, after, uh, five years, um, being in remission, they, they gave me the green light to go back to, to, um, full-time fire. Uh, so then I, um, went back to the engine after that and, um, you know, moved on from there. And I'll say that, like, you're never really like, there's always things that, uh, after having cancer that you deal with, um, cause you never, the side effects are tremendous. Um, you know, obviously can't have kids, uh, stage three kidney disease. It gave me uh, mild lymphedema. I had to have a lymph node transplant from my neck into my leg. Um, uh, I'm sure there's other things that I'm th- forgetting about, but I mean, it, it does screw with your body long-term. Um, and I think the, this, us talking, you know, it's September right now. Um, so us talking now is timely cause this is like ovarian cancer awareness month. Um, I don't think, uh, a lot of people think that they can get cancer at such a young age. And I'll say that I was lucky in the sense that I got health insurance six months before I got diagnosed with cancer. Holy shit. You dodged a bullet. Yeah. yeah she's millions and millions of dollars. Like yeah. if you were to, I think, a, I think we were we paying, did. I think with all the co-pays, it was, you know, with us, it was probably like 10 grand a year or it something was like 10, that. 10 grand for before you had to not pay any more co-pays. That was your cap. That's yeah, your, that's the cap. What is it called? Your deductible. Yeah. 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 So with all the Limit. stuff and surgeries, yeah, it ended up adding up like about that, which is a decent amount of money. That's a fucking ton yeah, of money. That's a, a life changing amount of money. Especially as a GS four. Yeah. At the time. But in the big scheme of things too, man, if it wasn't insurance, I don't know what, and you wouldn't have gotten the good hospitals either. At no that point either. Yeah. So you weren't going to UC Davis. Been, you would have been gone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll say like, thankfully, um, I was like, I was in my twenties. I was, I didn't care about insurance. I just told my admin person at, um, the Chef's Trinity, I don't know what, just sign me up for something. Yeah. And they Congratulations. You get plan 111 for blue cost. Yeah, blue exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's what it was. And it happened to be a PPO. So I was able to pick my own doctors and I got really good health insurance um, for what it was. They did try to initially say that it was pre-existing, that there was did no Did you way. tell them to go fuck themselves? Well, thankfully my doctor is like, do you understand how rapidly spreading this cancer is? Like, there's no way you can prove that she had this uh, six months prior to um, when you know, when she was non insured or whatever it was. Yeah. So, um, that thankfully didn't get, uh, uh, didn't go through because that would have, there were a couple extra bills here and there with like, there was one surgery that she had where some person that wasn't in 
network um, was in the surgery. It wasn't even one of the made surgeons. We found out it was just, I think it was like a second anesthesiologist or something like that. It was like a second, you know, a lot of my surgeries, they had to have a specialist because the cancer was along my spine and there was like a, holy shit. Yeah. There, there was like an 80% chance that I'd be paralyzed after the fact I had to like sign all these waivers and uh, I'm like, well die um, or possibly be paralyzed, I guess just do a good job. Keep fighting. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, it was like the second doctor on hand or whatever, in case, you know, because the surgery is so long in case that doctor needed to step away was not in network or something. It was like an extra $5,000. Yeah. Jesus Christ. You fight the insurance company and that one we ate. Yeah. There was some where you fight. That's the one thing I'll say with this whole thing is patient advocacy. Yeah. It's even, man, we had good insurance. Um, it is a good insurance. Um, yeah. The doctors that we saw were great. The hospitals were great. There's just so many people that if you don't have somebody, I mean, I was fortunate enough to, if I wasn't on a fire, I was there or my mom was there or her mom was there. Or my dad was there like this whole process. And there was multiple times where, you know, they're coming in and she's, she's just kind of a number. And if you don't have somebody there, that's telling them more than a number or has every single thing medical record wise that, you know, that's going on. Um, they, they might not get the best of care. And, and I don't blame the nurses and I don't blame the doctors. It's just, there's so many people yeah. that are in there that how do you, how do you expect them to keep up with every single little thing? And so, yeah, every little single IDC code. Yeah. yeah. And so there was times where it was, yeah, it was, I was, I, there was one time where is it a nursing hospital or a training hospital too, or a school um, where they were having a hard time getting the, the needle in the port. And so I just like, I can help you. And I just kind of moved my hand over on their hand. Cause I've seen it done so many times and, and helped and pushed it in. Yeah. Probably don't tell UC Davis. I said that, but <laughs> scratch that. Yeah. But yeah, there was, there was sound a, like we didn't yeah. hear that part. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they were great. They let me, I mean, they let me sleep in the room every night and it was, yeah, it, it sucked. I got, I got definite PTSD yeah, from hospitals. Like anytime I can, I go to a hospital um, it's better now, but just the smell and just that everything weird ozone else. smell. Yeah, yeah. You walk in, and for many years after that, it was just like I really don't want to be here. Even it's just a stand, not even to deal with her. It's just like a, a whatever. It was just um, like a kid being born and going to visit him. It's just like I don't want to fucking be here, dude. You want to see me get ramped up? Put me in a hospital. I'm like super on edge. I lost my mom when I was really young, so. Yeah, that was a pretty rough and traumatic. Uh, and at the age that I'm sure that that's it's the age 12, where just 12 there. years old, it's yeah. there for yeah. life, man. Yeah. So that's ozone smell, that yep. disinfectant ozone smell. Yeah. Homie, don't play with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I could totally relate to yeah, that. It sucks. God, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned one thing about uh, losing your identity. Yeah. Going through this whole process. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that uh, every wildland firefighter out there, yeah. every first responder, every military, everybody who's in yeah. the people that keep you safe at night kind of realm. Right. I think that's one of those big, uh, things that we are, I guess, subconsciously afraid of mm -hmm. and something that's real fucking real when it actually happens. Yeah. Like I struggle with it a little oh, bit yeah. today and I'm far removed from fire. I'm yeah. three years out of the game, almost four years out of the game. And, uh, yeah, it's like, I've lost my identity. I still have some sort of magnet to the fire world with this, but yeah, that's, that's one thing that's real hard to cope with. It's like, I'm not a firefighter anymore, especially coming down from like the pinnacle of 
where you were on a hotshot crew to Mm -hmm. being dependent on chemo and all of that stuff. I mean, how did you end up coping with that? So, I mean, I think, you know, the, while I was going through it was the hardest time because there wasn't a whole lot I could do um, to reconnect or to try to regain that because I was just trying to survive. I was trying to just make it through the treatment. And that's all I was focusing on was like, all right, I have this long to do this chemo and then we're going to do another test and then they're going to see how much cancer is left. And then we're going to do another surgery and then we're going to figure out what other chemo to do. And so it was just, what was the path for getting me better? So I had really no time to think about it during that. But as soon as the doctor said, you're in remission, um, now it's time to like start getting your strength back. Uh, as soon as that happened, um, I was still in dispatch. I was still in dispatch for another four years after the, after the chemo ended. And, uh, during that time, I think a big part for me was starting to put my foot in the door of like the PIO game. Right. So some of it is in that of, of I'm highlighting other people on the goodness that they're doing. Or, uh, when I worked at the, (coughs) at McClellan training center, I was working with firefighters on trying to help them, uh, further their career by doing, um, you know, uh, going through different trainings and, and helping with the trainings. So I was still a part of a lot of it in that way. Um, and I think the more that I helped other people advance in their career, um, I delve into the like hiring side of things. And like, I got turned down on so many jobs that I got really good at writing resumes and started getting into the recruitment side and all of those other things were helping other people kind of like do better. Um, I think was what helped me gain some of it back. You know, I still feel like I missed out on some years that I could have, you know, I was only 22. I feel like there could have been, if I hadn't gotten sick, a lot of those years, I could have still been operationally in the field as a hotshot or on an engine or, you know, I don't, the only thing I haven't really done is helicopter stuff. Um, that's why I got him. And that's why I tell him, I'm like, <laughs> I'll just pick your brain. Live vicariously. Live vicariously and we'll be fine. Um, but so there are things that like, I feel like I missed out on, but, um, I think the more that you can embed yourself in things that support other people to do better or, or use your knowledge to, um, to mentor people, um, it helps you stay connected and find a different identity that maybe is, is still a part of what you lost, but um, maybe is transitioning in it as something that is new for you and that you can have pride in. And I think that's the hardest part is just, I had so much pride in who I was when I was on a hotshot crew and like I was a firefighter on a hotshot crew and my boyfriend's on the helicopter and like, you know, living this good life of fighting fire in the summer and snowboarding in the winter and those kinds of things. And then trying to figure out who I was without that. And then taking that and trying to help other people with it as well. I think that was probably the best way that um, I can explain what I did. Yeah. I think there's this, 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 I think there's comes this point in your career where you realize that you can do a lot more good by helping others instead of just trying to be the 
badass ass pipe hitting yeah. hot shot or hell attacker or Absolutely. smoke jumper or whatever. Because I mean, yeah, you're doing a greater good when you're, you know, putting shovel or Pulaski to the dirt. However, you're doing a much greater good when you're becoming a mentor and a teacher yeah. and furthering along many people to do good. Yeah. I think that's, that's a big distinction that a lot of people, I guess, need to, I gain, I guess, gain the maturity to realize. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I've, since I started doing the recruitment stuff for the Eldorado and, uh, teaching, teaching resume classes and helping with the readiness training and all of that. Um, I've done it long enough now that a lot of the people that had went through it are kind of a, you know, high, higher to a point in their career, you know, they're still uh, middle leader level, but you know, yeah. they've been in it long enough and I still have a lot of them come back to me and just like, thank me for the effort that I, or, you know, the programs that I've developed put into helping them get to where they were and like not being able to understand the process. And like, then they take what they learned from me and they help other people and it just keeps spreading that way. And I think that, um, you know, the more you can kind of remove your own ego, which that took a long time for me to remove my ego of, and I still struggle with it, but remove my ego of, you know, Oh, I was a hotshot or I was, you know, and you know, on an engine or whatever it is, and just try to like use my knowledge and experience to help people move forward. I think the better off you'll be. And, and he's done a great job at that as well. Um, through his career too, especially like when he was the superintendent on Folsom Lake. I mean, you're, you're taking, guys that are just getting out of the military and have their own PTSD and their own struggles that they're dealing with and just trying to reintegrate into society just in general and putting them into fire, you know, whereas again, more high stress, high intensity, but it's familiar too, but it's familiar and trying to, you know, I mean, he had firefighters that he helped get a bank account and this, they'd never had a bank account before because they went from high school to the military. And so they're helping him get a bank account. He's helping him figure out how to apply for a loan or get a car. I mean, all these things that, um, aren't normally things that we help people with, but you know, he jumped on board because he knew that it was something that needed to happen for them to further their career and their life in general. I think the most rewarding of this career has been the helping, like you were mentioning the helping of the other people. Um, yeah. One example is we had a, the first year of that crew, we had a, a guy show up. He'd been in the shit. He'd had some mental stuff happen to him. Um, the first day during just the basic 40, we did a little PT. And then first day of fire class, he's sitting there just falling asleep. And so I had to pull him out in the hallway. I'm like, what's up, man? It's like, hey, first day, what's going on? And he says, well, you know, just they, I'm on a bunch of... Um, medicines to help my brain, you know, by PTSD. So they got yeah. the, the VAs got them drugged up on a bunch of shit. And I'm like, okay, thanks for letting me know. It's something we need to watch because we, I'll tell you, you know, if we get deep into this thing, I don't, we'll see where this goes because if you're falling asleep and there's a tree falling or something like that, it's just, it's not going to work. So we'll, yeah, we'll do what we can do. Thing. Um, but by the end of that year, he was, uh, and he was last in class as far as PT and all that. By the end of the year, he was first hiking up the hills, whooping Um, ass on everybody. Oh yeah. Whooping ass on everything. And, uh, he told me too, he's like, I'm not taking the drugs anymore. It's just, it, it, it worked for him. And what I told that crew and and every crew since is that 
long as you give me a hundred percent, I'm going to give you a hundred percent on whatever you want to do. If that's staying with the forest service, the BLM, whatever, staying within fire. Great. If you want a kick-ass job at in and out, then that's fine too. I'll help you get there as long as you, um, give me a hundred percent. And he did. And, uh, he worked for the agency for a couple of years and now he's uh, got like two kids and is a, a cop down in the Bay area and, no he, and, and loves it. So that was, that's the type of like, that's one of those stories that it's just, I'm super stoked on that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough seeing folks coming in and, and hurting and, but it, to be able to help them in any way or just a little way that's, that's rewarding. I mean, putting out fires, one thing, but that's the part that at least once you get into those positions and you can have that effect, that's, that's super rewarding. I think a lot of people sell themselves short on what effect, um, they have on people. A uh, good mentor of mine, Newell, Eric Newell, he's like, always be wary about who you're talking to and how you interact with people because you'll never know what impact you'll have on them, both good, bad, indifferent, doesn't matter, but you might be someone's hero. You might be someone's mentor. You might be someone's worst enemy, but always be cognizant of the fact that you have no idea. You cannot comprehend what effect you have on people. That, that shit kind of stuck with me. It's very true. It's true. It's true. But uh, I guess at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, there's the greater good, but at the, you can actually weaponize the greater, greater good, which you two have done with mentorship, mm-hmm. your experiences and sharing that knowledge with other people. That's something that should be admonished. I mean, it's, that's great. Yeah. 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 How do you, babe? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. The couple in fire. How the hell did you guys put up with that? That's, oh, that's another thing too. Yeah. It's like, that's tough. Dual fire yeah. relationship. That is hard. Yeah. I, it's hard, but I think it's, it's probably Especially the given reason, the circumstances. It's probably the main reason we're together though. Yeah. Cause I've, I've known so many friends and so many relationships that have not lasted. Um, most of them have been because one person's doing this job and the other one's not. Mm-hmm. At least we know what the job is. We know summer's going to be a write-off. I mean, there's been multiple times where it's, you know, two months apart or whatever. Then you see each other, mm-hmm. you high five for, uh, you know, crossing in the night or something like that. And you keep on going. Good um, game, babe. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think last year we did, what was it? We did the 60, math. 63 days apart. Holy shit. Days. That's a long time. And then I think we did the math too on like total oh, time yeah. gone. And that, that was, that was kind of a shock to me a little bit when you actually, it was like 200 and something days days apart. Well, I was talking the, that, but I was talking the, um, the total time gone since I started this, I did ballpark on overtime hours and what assignments and how that worked. And I think as of last year, it was six to six and a half years, maybe close to seven years that, you know, you were not home. Holy shit. Since, since I started. Wow. And so when you, when you put it that way, you know, every year is a thousand hour summer or something like that. And and I could have screwed the math up. I'm not very smart. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And so that, that hit me a little bit because it was like, shit. I spend more time in fire than I do. That's a long time. Yeah. It's a long time away. Well, and like, there's been, there's been a lot of years and, and we try to support each other as much as possible and like doing, doing what you want to do. So like, you know, for example, he, uh, when he wanted to, he took a detail, uh, to the Mendocino one year and he doing a battalion chief position and he was gone. He was gone for nine months. Uh, it wasn't that long. It was, 
It was just a 120. Was it? Yeah. I feel like it was longer. But he was gone he was the whole away. time. Um, you know, so he's living away. We're living apart. Yeah. Um, when he was an air attack on the San Bernardino, um, he was an air attack on the San Bernardino. He was just there this weekend. Yeah. 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 Future San, fire conferences. Yeah. Awesome. Beautiful San Bernardino. So he uh <laughs> hot yeah so so we lived apart during during then as well i mean there's been and then i took a detail in the shasta trinity uh for 120 day we lived apart then there's been at least a handful of times that you know we've both taken temporary promotions or details away from each other um for long periods of time and i think you know Time feels different, I guess, maybe to us. I hear people like, oh man, you know, my spouse was gone for like, you know, three weeks. And I'm like, that ain't uh, shit. Yeah, nothing. That's yeah. like, that's like normal. Um, but I think for us, it's not like we're doing everything right. And it's not like we're doing everything wrong. We're doing a mix of a little bit right and a little bit wrong. And I think as long as the little bit of right that we do with each other overrides the wrong, I think. Um, is why we've been able to stay together. Has there been years that it's been a lot harder than others? Yeah. Um, and Especially dealing with yeah. Big C. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Dealing with cancer, you know, dealing with all the, all the things that come with marriage, you know, all of the, like, you're not home and the sprinkler broke and now I have to deal with it by myself. And, you know, just the things that happen when one of the people are away or you both are away. And I think that was maybe it, it takes a village. Like I, my mom lives close by. I don't know if we could have done this without having her around to help us. We've had really great friends that, you know, come over to give us a hand, um, you know, when we need it. And I think having that village of support around us to be able to do this is huge. I mean, anytime that we ask for anything there isn't a time that somebody's like, yeah, no problem. I got it. I'll go to your house. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll, you know, whatever it is. And we've, we've always had animals. We've always had at least one dog. This is the first time our dog just passed. This is the first time we haven't had a dog ever. Um, and so having people that are around, uh, to help us out, I think is, is a big part of it, but then staying connected the way that we can, because thank God there's now FaceTime and you know silver lining of yeah, COVID generation right because right. i remember when i first started standing in line to talk on a landline um and that's how you got you're like okay do i call the person that i want to talk to or uh and get sick or do i not get sick and not talk to the person that i want to talk to because you know that that phone is going to have every disease on it impossible oh yeah um and that was the only, you had a calling card and that's how you talk to the person. Cause we didn't have cell phones. And if you had a cell phone back it then, work. it didn't work. I mean, Cause no, there's happy no camp, well, happy camp still nothing works. Yeah. yeah. But happy camp is, is like Bermuda triangle <laughs> yeah. of California. So, I mean, you, you just know that you're not going to talk a while back then. Now it's a lot easier than it was um, to stay in contact. And even when we're both running and gunning on fires, we try to make a point to at least at the end of the day, stop and like talk to each other and find out how the day was. And I think that it's really hard for marriages in this job to be so tired that the conversation just becomes very monotonous of kind of utilitarian like, yeah, almost like this is how my day was. This is how my day was. Okay. I love you. Bye. You know, you have to like fight a little bit to try to come up with, um, like real conversation. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think, um, and we still struggle with it. It's not like we're 
perfect at it or anything. Well, like it's that. like, you kind of have to like skip the small talk. Yeah. I don't give a shit about the weather was. No. Tell me about you. What's yeah. up? What's real? What's up? Like What's real? Who, who pissed you off today? Yeah. Who didn't piss you off today? Like what went good? What didn't? Um, what are you struggling with? Like those kinds of things. And, um, and then when you come back together and that's the thing is like, when we come back together, my friends know, like if Matt's been gone and he comes home and he's home for a days off, I'm probably not going to go hang out with you. I'm probably going to be hanging out with him. Yeah. So, um, but also still making sure that we're making time for our own friends and our own lives as well, because we kind of, in a way have two different lives in a way. Like he has, you know, when I'm not home, he does whatever he's going to do when I'm not home and goes out and mountain bikes or, you know, does fun things. And then I have the same thing when he's gone. I have friends and go to the river and, you know, thankfully all of our friends are relatively the same, but we try to, we try to keep ourselves busy when we're not around too. Well, it's like one of those things too, is like where the separation can be a blessing and a curse. There definitely is times like around May ish. (laughs) It's like, get the fuck out of yeah. here. Like, Go get some overtime. Is there like a s- assignment you can take somewhere, please? Like, please just maybe for a few days. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. What do you think, babe? Don't answer this. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Don't answer it. <laughs> I did this this year. It was hard getting out that first assignment, though. It was I yeah. actually I take that back. I when my first one was in Texas for a couple of weeks. Um, which that one was cool. Cause it was just, that's, you don't go to Texas all the time. And so it's different and it's not as just, it's a wild west down there. Yeah. Man. And yeah. so did two weeks there, but then the next one was like the official, all right, it's on now. It's going to be, you know, two weeks on a couple of days off back out two weeks till whenever. Yeah. Um, and that one was tough. Cause it was, it's like, all right, we're just starting again. And, 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 again. and I think the main reason it was tough is because of last year, last year just beat us both down. So it was, this one beat a, a lot of bit. people down. Yeah. It was a little, yeah. it was tougher just to start that again. And I think it was more of just, ah, oh, shit, here we go again. I don't want what last year was. And it ended up not being like that. It wasn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't last year yeah. still gone just as much for me. Um, but it wasn't, wasn't like last year. Yeah. Last year was shitting and getting and the year before that was somewhat shitting and getting, yeah. it, I mean, it was, it was pretty busy. Yeah. Not as necessarily as busy as 2021, but yeah. yeah. But no, the dual fire relationship, I can, I can understand it. it comes with its challenges, but also it comes with that familiarity and that middle ground of knowing what to expect. Like I got out of fire. I knew I wanted to marry my wife and yeah. have kids and, you know, the be two and a half kid. It. Yeah. I didn't want to be a, you know, part-time father, a full-time firefighter even in the off season when I was laid off, cause you still have to train and do your yeah. PT and all that other shit. And yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things. It's not, I get, I guess uh, my particular path and my decisions, it's probably not for everybody, but also if you can make it work, make it work well, like you yeah. two have, especially if you're dual fire, you guys have figured it out. Yeah. I don't know how with kids, it would be so tough. So with tough kids. with kids. That was my it's, primary it's tough concern. With what we had with a dog and, and it's just, but yeah, with kids, I just it, more power to the people that can make it happen. Um, I copped well, out, well, dude. I copped a, out. Well, I but couldn't do with it. a dual, I don't know how actually possible it is with a dual family and fire. Both people want to be full-time suppression. I don't think it's doable. Hell no. I'm fortunate that, I mean, I, I have a, a marketing job, right? 
And uh, yeah, do I work, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, majority of the week? Yeah, I do. Uh, it takes a lot of time. It's nothing like a fire assignment though, where you're gone for two weeks. I mean, you'd be mm-hmm. missing. I, I was fortunate enough. I was actually fly fishing and I came home and I got to see my son walk for the first time. I just started like randomly. It was like someone snapped their fingers like, Oh, I'm walking now. Cool. I'm going to become the Usain Bolt of toddlers and be the fastest <laughs> human alive. I'm like, Oh, great. Cool. Now you're going to get into all the shit. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was awesome though, man. I, I, if I was in fire, I, I would miss out on moments like yeah. that. And now if my wife was in fire, which she's not, she's well removed from fire. Uh, that would be even harder. Yeah. Kids yeah. definitely oh. would be making it super tough if you had kids and you're dual fire. And yeah. I don't know how I'd, the hell. It'd be interesting if there is. I know that there's couples that have done it. Yeah. Uh have to have help. Otherwise you have to just at home on its own. Yeah. And that's what I was getting at. It's like, my parents live here in Reno. Like my yeah. parents are out in, you know, towards pyramid Lake. And then my in-laws are on the South side of Reno and South Reno. And, uh, yeah, we need them all the time, Yeah, <laughs> all the time. And I'm not even in fire anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You would need, and I've had friends, uh, you know, that one's in dispatch and one's in primary fire. And, and that happens a lot or one's in prevention and one's in primary fire because mm-hmm. you can in prevention. I mean, I, I try to keep myself as busy as possible because I like being busy, but, um, uh, you can pick and choose a little bit more with, with prevention if you want to go out or not, which is really nice. And yeah, but you suffer in the long run yeah, because you need those oats. You need that. And I mean, prevention, you're going to top out at a seven. So it's not like, you know, you're going to get to those higher GS levels to be able to not have to worry about overtime. And, uh, there are, I know that there are people that have done it that do have, you know, co, um, fire, you know, parents. And I, I take my, you know, give them all the support in the world because it usually seems like they have to have some sort of, you know, like you parents nearby that, that are like game to just help as much as possible. Or you have to have like really good friends that are game to help as much as possible. That you trust too. That you trust. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it's gotta be really, it's gotta be really hard. And, and I don't know if we could have had kids and we did have kids, you know, would I be as operationally as I am now? Probably not, you know? And then would I, you know, be like, what the hell you stay home a little bit more? Probably. Um, all those things. Yeah. But, you're going to have to give up, give up some assignments. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause you know, both of us doing thousand plus hour overtime seasons every year would not work with kids. So I think a lot of it is the fact that we just have dogs. We'd crate train them. <laughs> crate train the yeah. kids. Yeah. That'd be, yeah. Fine. That'd be fine. That's another thing too, is, uh, Ron, Ron Boyer, he was on the show and mm-hmm. he, uh, he had something really profound to say. And he said, every, t- like, don't give up those little liberties that you have the opportunity to go see. Like yeah, if you have a birthday or a funeral or a mm-hmm. whatever special event, your, your buddies having this dirty 30 birthday party, yeah. don't fucking take a fire assignment no. because every time you say no to one of those things, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And that's a trap that we fall into. It is. And now when you have kids and mm-hmm. yeah, that, I've fallen in that trap, but I think that is something it's, I think we've both gotten better at that part of it. It's like we've actually done and over the last couple of years gone and 
more experiences than um, years past where it was just give your life, do that. Yeah. You That's are, it. you might as That's well it. have a serial number for the U S forest yeah. service. Yeah. Yeah. Last year was the first year that we took a week off during fire season. And like, I bet that was so liberating. Yeah, our it entire career. Was it weird? Super yeah. weird. It was cool. Did you feel guilty? Yeah. No, I didn't. I, did. I didn't at that point. You did. Yeah. You didn't. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm in a spot now where, I mean, honestly, if I have staffing for this, this, the, the helicopters that I'm supposed to have and stuff like that, then I don't, if I didn't, then I might, but I don't know. My, my folks that I work for are pretty supportive of time off. Um, and they, they'll take it themselves. And so, um, I feel fairly pretty fortunate to be in the position I'm at and have that. Cause I know I didn't always have that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I have that ability. And so, yeah, it was a week and glacier and a wedding and stuff like that up in Idaho. And it was, it was amazing. It was like, but it was, it was like totally like, this is, this is is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I did have a little bit of that feeling, but it was like sneaking out of your parents' house when you're like 16 years old and joyriding the truck or something. Yeah. It was, it was a strange feeling, but he's right. It was, it was worth it and it was good and it was needed, but yeah, it was still a weird feeling. I think that's a, a a thing that's, I, th- I think that's a thing that people should take with them. It's like, hey, yeah, don't, don't, if you got the opportunity to, as long yeah. as you're not going to like put down the crew. I mean, even then, look at it. I mean, I'm, I'm well removed from fire and it's like, oh yeah, well, what about the crew? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I mean, trust me, I even still, if I hear like somebody left and went on a, you know, a rendez, you know, went on a vacation or something during the season, I'm like, Oh man, what did that like? Are they going to be able to staff? lose staffing numbers? Oh my yeah. god, are they going to lose status for like <laughs> two days? Oh shit, what are they going to do? Yeah. yeah, I think depends on the module, but the, the modules I know and the, the the good ones out there, they're they're making that work and they're giving their people them t- their time off because yeah. it, it's important. Um, it is. It's so become- they're they're making it work, even though we have less people right now. Um, I still see more of that as of recently, as far as folks just going, oh, whatever, you know, put, put some, you know, yeah, we'll go down out of staffing or we can't staff it for a minute. Take the time off, go to the, you're not missing out on a wedding, yeah. you know? So it's definitely different than when I first started where it was. Yeah. Nope. Good know, luck in that time. May, off. May to October. That's that. Your life is yeah. ours. It, it's better. There's yeah. definitely been a paradigm shift, I guess, in uh, the culture as far as like, accepting being more accepting of like time off and like those little things that keep us together as a human mm-hmm. like trying not to miss out on the, your dad's 60th birthday or your grandma's like 80th birthday yeah. or whatever any yeah. of that stuff yeah your your only kids too i mean yeah. i can't imagine how many firefighters like legacy firefighters that are out there that have missed their own kids birthdays yep yeah, when sad. i still had a crew though either it was the helicopter or the or the hand crew it was tough though, because that was kind of the atmosphere I would send to them. But I had to almost fight people sometimes and go, no, take your damn days off. Like go (laughs) take some days off, man. It's fine. Take the days off or I'm going to stab you. I'm going to octagon you right here. (laughs) That's the atmosphere that we had and the culture that we had. And that's, you know, they, they had a hard time. They didn't want to let us down. And it's like, no, you're not letting us down. You're letting me down. If you're showing up to work tomorrow, like go to the damn wedding. Yeah definitely shifted that's for sure but yeah i mean you two are the sign the shining example of resiliency whether it becomes a or whether it's uh 
out of like a relationship aspect, a fighting aspect with overcoming cancer and fucking it's shit up because fuck cancer. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. What you've overcome. The only, the only thing I can say to folks is listen to your body, um, male or female. Uh, you're never sadly too young to get cancer. No, you're not. And if you have the opportunity to get health insurance, you should probably get it if you don't have it. Uh, cause you never know what's going to happen. And if thankfully now things have changed where they can't hold preexisting conditions against you. So that's a shining light in that, but, um, really listen to your body. Um, if something hurts or doesn't seem right or swelling's weird or whatever, get it checked out because this job isn't worth losing your life because you didn't want to let the crew down and not go to the doctor or whatever it is. Um, just take that stuff seriously. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, think of how many times, I mean, you've done it, you've yeah. done it, I've done it. Think of how many times you've just like worked through an injury oh, yeah. or some sort of thing that turned out to be something kind of serious. Yep. Well, what if it's really fucking serious? Yep. Like what you experienced. Yeah. I don't, and I don't have any cancer in my family. I don't have it. I don't have, I had testing for the genetic traits for that kind of cancer. Don't have that. No predispos predispositions nope. whatsoever. Nothing. Wow. Yep. You ever thought Just, about buying a lottery ticket? Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I have, I've been told more times than I can count. Well, you're just really unique. Dot, 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 whatever it is. Yeah. I hate to be a cynic about it and make a joke out of it, but I mean, that's, that just goes to show you, um, how, I guess that, that just shows you how it could happen to anybody. It can. It can. Even someone who's 22 years old. Yeah. Prime of their, prime of their health, prime yep. of their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It could happen. It can. Yeah, I can. And then, and I never thought, never thought. No one ever does. No, there's no, no. way. No. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't but, know what oncology was. No, I literally did not know what it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we're going to end it on that. Yeah. Some positivity and also some messaging as far as taking care of, Take of care yourself, of your family. Yeah. Taking those opportunities to take those days off. Take some days off. Yeah. Don't miss the wedding. Yeah. You can spend as much time with whoever you love. Um, that you can, because you don't know how long you're going to have with them. Yeah. Time is your most precious and valuable resource. So you only have a finite amount of it on this planet. So yep. maximize that shit. That's right. Absolutely. Well, at the end of the show, I always give the opportunity to give it for you to give a shout out to some homies, heroes, mentors. What do you got for us, Matt? What do I have? Um, trying to think that's a tough one there's a lot of people out there that helped me along the way um honestly it's i'm just gonna flip it back at this chick here just because you know i've learned so much from her as far as how strong someone can be and um yeah to go through what she went through and to still be where she's at today um i think she's my biggest homie Stop. He's like being incredibly cute. He needs to stop. 
And, and spay and neuter your pets. Aww. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't be here without without Matt. He's he's definitely my biggest homie and my biggest mentor. Um, first person I call for advice. Um, also, uh, Steve Diaz was my engine captain when uh, when all this happened. Uh, he was always showed up at the hospital. Um, Paige Boyer was my, uh, division chief when all this went on. Um, she was always showing up at the hospital, checking in on me. And she was like a big part of getting me moved to, um, moved to dispatch on the El Dorado and super supportive of it. Um, a huge, huge fan of Paige. Uh, and then, uh, John Johnson was my other captain that actually died of um, small cell lung cancer. He was going through chemo the same time that I was going through chemo. And um, the Shasta Trinity put a cancer benefit on for the both of us to help with the cost for, um, for hospital and medical bills. And then when he passed, his family donated the money that he got to me for my medical bills. That was huge, huge help. Um, kept me from going into huge financial debt. Um, so um, shout out to him and his family. Uh, and then, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's so many people that helped um, while I was sick, donating leave and checking in on me and sending me hats that they, you know, Molly Day um, knitted a ton of hats for me and sent and bought a ton of hats for me, hats for me. Cause you know, you don't have a head, you lose a lot of heat or don't have hair. You lose a lot of heat. Um, and, uh, so Molly was, was a big help with that. Um, uh, so I just had so, I had so many people that were like, uh, helping me through, through that time. And if, if I didn't mention you, please don't take it personally. Know that I love you all. It was awesome. The Shasta Trinity or the Shasta Lake crew drove yeah, their buggies down was, to yeah. our house to deliver all of our stuff out of the barracks. And so brought the whole crew down to say what's up. So yeah, that was, it was cool. Yeah. That's pretty rad. Yeah. That's the community though. That we yeah. Got. yeah. Yeah. Definitely show up for each other. And, uh, yeah. I also wanted to, uh, throw a little uh informational thing out there too is uh the PSOB and the public safety officers benefit. I know they do cover uh cover cancer now. Oh yeah. And also there has been legislation changed through the efforts of grassroots and uh NFFE and now some of these cancers are a covered pre uh was it not predisposed. You have a predisposition to acquiring these cancers, but it's um it's it's covered now. That's awesome. So presumptive it's a presumptive illness and uh yeah yeah tracking on this stuff is definitely pivotal and yeah wow that's awesome it's good stuff so hopefully everybody will realize this and learn from your experiences yeah. and also take some inspiration yeah and if anybody wants has i mean it's been a long time since i've gone through chemo and the the different medications that they have now and the different ways they treat it have come so far since when I went through it. But if anybody has any questions or just kind of needs some guidance on like, you know, what to do when your hair start falling out, kind of stuff like that, feel free to reach out to me. Copy that. And where can we find you? Uh, Instagram's probably the best um, at girl in the mountains. Okay. Yeah. And Matt, what about you? 
Uh, are you know. incognito mode on your browser? No, I'm I'm there. I just don't know what <laughs> I'm am. I don't know what I. Oh, am. you're <laughs> lined in the air is what there matters. Lined in the air. She she handles all my my uh, influencer <laughs> no, stuff. I wish I had a social media manager. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just say he doesn't use Instagram. He doesn't use social media very much, but he's there. That's all right. The internet's not a real place, but if you want to reach out. It is very real. Yeah, this is a very real subject. So yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks for uh, having us. Absolutely. Yeah, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much, everybody. I appreciate you guys being on the show and sharing your story. So, yeah, we'll see you on the, on the next episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. And last but not least, fuck cancer. Yeah. Yep. Fuck, cancer. fuck it. Sucks. Right. right on, guys. See ya. And boom, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with Kalina and Matt Lined. You guys, thank you so much for being on the show. And you've got one hell of a story, man. 100% that is intense. And I couldn't even imagine what you guys had to go through because I'm sure that your story that you told was only just the tip of the iceberg. So thank you for sharing that with us in the world. So uh, that is bringing up a good uh, point, though. Uh, Cancer is real fucking real. So, um, yeah. If you're uh, experiencing some issues or some weird stuff going on with your body, don't discount it. Uh, Obviously, go get checked out. And also, I hope you're filling out your CA2s and uh, all that jazz for smoke exposure. It's not something to be fuck around with. And uh, yeah, it should be no it should be no strange fact that uh, wildland firefighters and firefighters in general are wildly predisposed to getting big C cancer. Yeah. Good news is, is through efforts through uh, NFFE and the grassroots wildland firefighters, policies have changed through the DOL. Yeah, there's a cancer registry and it's actually now considered a presumptive illness. And you can find more about that information at the DOL, www.dol.gov. And you're probably have to do a little bit of searching, but I will put that web address in the show notes for more information. I highly, highly suggest that you use these resources if you're experiencing this shitty thing called cancer. With that, Kalina, Matt, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story. And uh, hopefully if anybody's uh, experiencing this, your story will provide some guidance and some hope for them. And uh, also point them in the right direction into uh, getting the treatment that they need. With that, hope everybody's doing well. And I hope everybody has a plan for the winter. We are on the glide path downwards. So have a plan. Uh, keep in touch with each other. And also we have our Anchor Point Christmas party, the White Elephant gift exchange as well, coming up here in December. And that will be uh, more information coming out about that here pretty soon. So hope everybody's doing well. Special shout out to our sponsors. We've got Mystery Ranch, built for the mission, best damn packs in the Wildland Fire game. If you want to go check out the Backbone series, go over to www.mysteryranch.com. We've got Hotshot Brewery, kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause and a portion of the proceeds always go back to the wildland firefighter foundation go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check them out we've got the ass movement go over to www.thefirewild and check out the ass movement yeah they are the purveyors of the finest poo bearing propaganda in the world and last but not least we've got the awe the american wildfire experience who house the smoky generation Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. And if you want to find out more, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org. As for the rest of you, 
Stay safe, stay savage. Y'all know the drill. Peace.